and worm children out there in the ether. Welcome back to another episode of the Daydream Cast. I am your host, Murph, and today we've actually got a bit of a special episode. It was a bit of a scramble. Bro is currently exploring up north, looking for the briefcase full of money Steve Buscemi buried at the end of Fargo. So I've kind of scrambled and found some additional co-hosts out in the woods, from the Twin Geeks podcast, uh, we've got David. Hello, uh, Murph. Thanks for having me back again. Yes, and uh, David's associated act, Fru. <laughs> associated act? I'm like the bunny in the hat. Yeah. Good enough know, for the part. Oh. Defin- definitions of marriage are, are, are falling down and breaking apart. You know, no, no more husbands, no more wives, no more partners. We just got associated act <laughs> so who's headlining i mean me if you're if you're associated then obviously i'm the main attraction that that seems pretty obvious I mean, and this is why i got a way. prenup <laughs> think of it this way if he's the podcaster husband that makes you the cosplay wife ah shit no that's a good point you, d- you do well you do well at it i can cosplay hetero pretty well <laughs> So we will not be uh, talking about American McGee's Alice this episode. That will be a uh, next episode when Bro and I reconfigure. Like I said, this was sort of a sort of a scramble, but luckily myself and these two played a game together quite recently, and one that that we have some thoughts on, some opinions. We'll be talking about uh, the Quarry from Supermassive Games. But to start with, let's go down what we've been playing other than the Quarry this week. Fru. You said you have a game? Uh, yeah, so, uh, it's been, I've been playing off and on, but I've been dabbling in Tim Schafer of Tim Schafer fame, uh, 1998 mm. Grim Fandango on the Nintendo Switch. It, oh, I didn't know it had a Switchboard. Yeah, yeah, that was what surprised me, because I didn't play this as a kid, I didn't play this, like, on the family PC, I played this last in college, which um, is closer to 10 years ago now than I'd like to admit. But it was like on a Steam sale, and I started playing it, and then I just never finished because college was a fever dream. And so I found it a few years ago on Switch. I picked up that port, and it's actually pretty decent. It's really fun. It's converted to it's converted to uh, joystick controls, <laughs> which hmm. uh, was the first sticking point that came out to me because like point and click. You want to remind everyone what Grim Fandango is for those who may not know. Despite oh, how iconic yeah. it is. No, that that's fair. That's fair. Not everybody See, his knows. podcaster uh, husband knowledge is, is coming up. <laughs> I got, like, player tips in the corner of the screen. Tell the people what the game is. So I, I actually, yeah, because I only know it by appearance. I actually okay. don't know what Grim Fandango is about. I'm so I'm surprised so, you haven't played it. That seems like right up your alley. Because that's the thing is that, um, so of course this is Tim Schafer with LucasArts in late, mm-hmm. eight, in like late 90s. And apparently, it, while developing other games, he's always been like, I want to do a Day of the Dead game. And that was his whole thing. So here you're playing a afterlife travel agent named Manny Calvera. 
And what Manny does is he ferries souls from the living world to the afterlife to sell them travel packages based on how much either material wealth or emotional wealth, like how much good you did, or literally how much money you have. That's a very LucasArts present uh, or, premise. Yeah, and it's actually uh, it's actually inspired by real life um, Aztec beliefs of how you did in the overworld yeah. you will do in the afterlife. Um, and how well your travel package means the faster you will get to the great beyond, to heaven. You're basically just plunked down in limbo. And um, the top tier is the express train, and the bottom tier is a walking stick. <laughs> <laughs> And I joke with coworkers a lot that I'm basically a gringa by association. I'm not, I'm not Hispanic. I'm not Latina. Um, But like, I didn't know that a calavera is basically the decorative sugar skulls that you see for Dia de los Muertos. And so many calavera is a play on that. And so everyone is a skeleton. Everyone has lost their mortal skin. And it's pretty great because you just get to explore this limbo space on your way to the great beyond. And the whole thrust of it, it's actually like a neo-noir. Would you say it's like a neo-noir? You've watched it. It's more, it's more, it's inspired by a very specific, like, film noir. Like, it's very, very explicitly, it pulls from Maltese Falcon yeah. on the waterfront. Oh, and yeah. very, very explicitly, very Casablanca. Explicitly. Like, there's a whole chapter where they just, like, the, the, the story hard cuts. And now he's in, like, this Morocco-like space. And he's yeah. wearing the and he, 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 Like, he literally owns a casino. Yeah. Okay, so is it episodic? It's it's sort of episodic. Ch- but more chapter-esque? It's, yeah, it's very... So there's chapters, and like each chapter so far is resembling like a year of time. And I guess that's one of my only hiccups with the game in terms of storytelling, is that in order to get there, you have these giant levels, and in very point-and-click fashion, some of these puzzles have you just running back and forth and back and mm. forth. And the trouble with that is that I'm stupid, and I don't know what to do, so I'm staring at the same puzzle... Trying to use joystick controls on a point-and-click game and feeling like I need to go back to third grade. It's very humbling. <laughs> Does it... Is the game hard? Because I don't really know. It seems like it would have come after that era of point-and-click games where it's a lot of, like, insta-fail states. Yeah. Like, oh, you forgot to throw the shoe at the mouse. Oh, God. It, it, there's there's some puzzles that are much more step-intensive than others. I would say that... A good deal of these I've been able to figure out. Just pretty straightforward. No spoilers. Pretty easy to figure out. But some I have absolutely needed a needed a walkthrough. And mm-hmm. the solutions to these I would have never understood <laughs> if I hadn't yeah. been for the walkthrough. And that's always infuriating to find. There was a puzzle that I think I literally had to walk away from. Walk away from the game for like a week and come back to it. And then I couldn't do it for another 30 minutes. So I grabbed a walkthrough. Okay. Yeah, I, I have... I have zero shame about looking at walkthroughs for games, especially if what you're there for is more like the story than yeah. the puzzles. And, and which it's a, for it's me, a, really a lot of Lucas Arts games are exactly, exactly. And so far, it's very good. The lead voice actor Tony Plania is hilarious because he sells the humor in the games so straight. Like he really is like a noir gumshoe type. But mm. there's a running gag. Like in the beginning of the game, you're basically stuck. It's like literally Dia de los Muertos every day that you're playing. So it's like a year later on Dia de los Muertos. And so the beginning is like an actual festival in the main city. And there's just 
lots of different festival jokes, like including talking to a balloon artist for an extended amount of time, and it's very funny. Okay. okay. It's got good writing, might... good humor. Yeah, it's really funny. Like a lot of I expect that out of Lucas Arts games. Hmm, okay. It's on Switch. How much was it on Switch? It was like twenty dollars. I think it's definitely worth it if it's on sale, but yeah. I was kind of fiending and so I just grabbed it. <laughs> It's definitely one of those, I keep meaning to play it. Maybe I could pitch it to Bro as an episode. It would be solid. I think it'd be a good episode. It'd There's a lot really to go in depth to. How do you feel about it uh, as, in terms of, like, when you played it in college versus all of the updating they've done to it, uh, graphic low eyes and fidelity and, and, and the faithfulness and ter- uh, how they transmitted it over? You ever remember a really good video on YouTube and it came out, like, 12 years ago and you go back and oh. you're like, oh, it's 380p? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, these guys' microphones are popping all over the place. <laughs> it's it's not even that so much. It's just like you look and you're like, wow, you really used five triangles for that guy's head. Wow. <laughs> and then look, it's a, it's a, the game looks great in terms of art direction and that far outweighs any resolution issues. <laughs> but there's, yeah. in this port, there is a widescreen selection, and I do not recommend it ever. It's terrible. It just chops off the top and bottom of your full screen resolution. It's really oh, bad. That's not good. So when you do full screen, it has like a nice ambient, like ambient frame, like a nice decorative frame that matches the decor of the video game that you are playing, and it looks a lot better. So they try to meet a happy medium. And so yeah, I think it definitely. I mean, you're you're looking at a game from 1998 on your 4K TV. It's going to look a little janky at times, but I think yeah. otherwise it performed really well. The music's great. The soundtrack is amazing. I really enjoy it. And again, I think it's just super worth it just for just for the story. It's really refreshing how different it is. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like a classic that definitely like lives up to its reputation. Um, yeah, maybe I will pitch to Bro to do Grim Fandango. I don't know if he's played it. It'd be a super good episode, I bet. Potentially. Potentially. We still got to do American McGee's Alice, though. <laughs> I was gonna say I brought all this eyeliner just for Alice. Uh, yeah. uh, let's move down the list. David, you've played well, not exactly a game, but a a an expansion, a DLC, a yeah. delicious last course. I I I guess this is the the time that I'm gonna have to talk about it because any prior plans to discuss Cuphead on the podcast have been nixed by. Your lack of desire to play Cuphead, it, it would so seem. <laughs> yes, so uh, I'm, I'm going to take this opportunity to express as much appreciation as I can for it here. So just recently, after a long wait, uh, we finally have the DLC, the expansion for Cuphead, called The Delicious Last Course, which adds uh, a number of new boss fights to the game. You know, some a new like side story adventure and a new playable character in the form of uh, Miss Chalice. So, how many bosses does this actually add? Uh, well, let me let me count because I didn't write it down off the top of my head. So, you know, let me let me just rattle them off. Let me just describe them because I think that's part okay. of the fun of them. Because uh, there's some really interesting new new ones that are fun. There's the gnome mountain guy. So he's like a... There's a man... He's a mountain. Uh, and so you the fight... The man of the mountain? Yeah. And you, you, you fight him. And that's that, that has an interesting bit where the, the arena changes at one point because you get swallowed by him. And then you fight like a tumor inside of him or something. I'm not quite <laughs> sure. Oh. Not, yeah, it was, it's, it's a bit of a surprise when it comes. So the different like, like change in arena... Which, in the base game, there is a fight like that, but that's like the, the last fight. 
So mm-hmm. that's that's really cool they implemented that. There's uh, another one that's really cool, and I think maybe my favorite one, which was the first one that I did actually, which was the... It's a bunch of, like, bootlegging gangster insects, like spiders and such. They're like, they're like these 19... Okay. They're late 19... Are they, like, explicitly bootleggers? Yeah, yeah, basically. They're they're dressed up like that, and it's and it's set in, like, a, like, in the arena you go into. It's like this hole that has, like, these stairs you go down to, like, it's like, like a speakeasy, oh, okay. basically. It's a, it's a literal hole in the wall? Yeah, yeah, so that's, like, the theming of it. And there's a really With cool... With a literal mo- anthill mob? There's a really cool moment, and I've seen a lot of, like, compilations from people playing through it the first time, where usually you get the knockout screen, where it tells you one, and uh, it, it says that for this one, but it's done on, like, uh, flypaper, so it's, like, themed a little differently in the rest of the fights. Oh, but that's not actually the end of the fight. <laughs> oh. It's a it's a it's a gotcha moment, and it gets most people. So that that that's a very interesting twist that they do there. Uh, so let's see here. That's two listed. There's a a cow. You fight a cow cowgirl. Um, Wait, like a yeah, yeah, and and that's one of the airplane fights. Like, a, uh, like an Annie Oakley, or yeah, 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 basically. Uh, uh, and at some cow point, Lamity Jane. But like she's literally a cat, like a literally yeah, a cow. like literally a cow, okay. literally so a cow. Like, There's a whole point, a p- part of the fight where she turns into a sausage, like she gets put through a sausage machine. Oh my god! Yeah, that's terrible. That's, yeah, that's troubling. <laughs> that's that's disturbing. It's yeah, that one's a bit tougher one of the fights I thought, but uh, still reasonable. There's one that's a dog fight, which is like actual dogs, you know, in a, in a plain one. I'm noticing and, a pattern here. Yeah, yeah. Animals. Oh, and that's like, that's what a lot of the theming of the games is. And these boss fights are all a lot of fun. And, you know, the creativity of their design uh, is, is such an appealing uh, aspect of it. But, man, that dogfight battle, I, I did not like that one. Because uh, at one point, the screen rotates. But your controls oh, no. didn't save. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. controls invert. Oh no, that's no good. For they a do. Gun. They do have an option for either the controls to stay the same or the controls to shift with the direction as it goes around the screen. But it's disorienting as I, hell. And I, I uh, don't know which one I would pick. I would forget which one. I, I ended up going with the one where it changes with it because, like, I just have that disconnect where, like, like just trying to do the same controls. Like, I just. I found it worked better for me if I pointed in the direction that I saw my character's face. So, like, you know, if, if my character's on, on the right side of the screen, then I could point to the left to shoot up, because that's just the way it was oriented. It, it just, it worked for me. And and I finally beat that one after days. All of the other ones I managed to at least take care of in, in the same sitting, uh, even if it was a while. But that one I, I had to quit and come back to a number of times. Does the game, fe- does the DLC feel as hard as the base game, or does this feel like like every boss they try to level up? I I would say it's of a same difficulty with everything on the last island in the base game. Uh, but there there is a difference in uh, difficulty in terms of the first couple that you fight in this new DLC versus... You know, some of those other ones there. But also, like, uh, uh, another big thing they cha- they add is that they add uh, some new power-ups that you can use as well, which you can use in the base game, including the new character, Miss Chalice, who herself operates very differently from Cuphead and Mugman. Uh, I saw online some people say it's kind of like a, a sneaky easy mode they snuck in there, because she has things like an additional jump... Uh, an extra heart of HP, and a a specific dodge roll that has gives her visibility frames, which are all things none of the base characters have. But the trade-off is is that you can't use 
any charms. Uh, which is kind of fine, because there's only one charm in the base game you want to use anyway, which gives you an invincible dash. Um, and since Chalice has that, that kind of works out. But uh, she does work differently, because her parry attack is linked differently. It's not with her jump button, because she has a double jump, it's with a dash attack instead. So she operates differently. It doesn't feel strictly like, oh, this you can just do as an easy mode. Okay. Is she, if you have the DLC, is she just playable from the start, or do you have to... You like, have, do you have to beat the main game to do the DLC? You do not have to, but you do have to get... You have to beat the first mausoleum challenge, uh, which is, you know, just on the first line. It's, it's a real quick, just, like, parry challenge thing. It's very easy. You only have to do, like, maybe two bosses to get to it, and then you can go to the, the DLC island unlock Chalice immediately, and then you can use her. And, and so what I've done as well is I've been playing, I've played through the base game because uh, I didn't actually own the game before the DLC. I played it with, uh, through with someone else first uh, on their copy of the game. So I bought the game and the DLC, and so I've proceeded to play through it with Chalice, you know, uh, and been, been going back and forth between the DLC stuff and the main game. Okay. Now this was like, for the longest time, one of those games like... Like Hollow Knight Silk Song, mm -hmm. where it seemed like it was announced decades ago, and we never got any updates on it. Uh, does it feel like it has been worth the wait? I think so. Um, I it it was always something where it was like the the main game felt so complete, you know that uh, it was never a sense of you know oh I I need this to come out. This really feels yeah additional, you know, and so uh, in a way that DLC often doesn't necessarily feel like, you know, uh, so I, I felt no obligation to this extra content. Uh, okay, so you don't feel like maybe it have been preferable to, like, wait another couple of years and just have this all rolled into, like, a Cuphead 2 with how mm -hmm. long it took? No, because it doesn't feel like a Cuphead 2 either. It does have a new story to it. Um, you know, the whole the whole thing with the story is that because Miss Chalice is actually like a hundred year old ghost, effectively, that you save from the mausoleums. Uh, and so the whole thing here is that she's trying to get back her, you know, mortal body. And she's like kind of uh, met up with this uh, renowned chef, Chef Saltbaker, who's a giant... Salt shaker, who who made this astral cookie, which allows her to trade Don't places. Laugh at the Cuphead lore. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm, sorry. I'm just, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for interrupting. I'm watching over your shoulder. Nothing about the game has led me to believe that Chalice is actually a hundred year old ghost. I mean, yeah. you you must have missed the mausoleum challenges when I did them, them, because she's clearly. very clearly a ghost. Clearly, like you you you, you must just be. Only barely looking over my shoulders. People occasionally. don't drink from chalices now. She yeah. must be ancient. That's right. It's exactly. in the name. Yeah. Anyway, so um, the astral cookie. Yeah, and I, and I won't spoil anything about the the game because there is you know like a, like a reveal element to the story. So there's yeah, it, it feels like fully fledged additional content, but it doesn't feel so much like that. It's like a whole other game. You know, it really does feel like additional purchasable content. Do you think it's something that, like, you would recommend fans of Cuphead to go buy right now, or maybe wait for a sale or something? Like, if they already waited this long? Yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of the game, I, I can't see how you haven't already purchased it, really. Mm, that's fair. <laughs> I think I think the, the people who are really devoted to, to Cuphead, who really enjoyed it, were, were looking forward to it, and, you know, and will be very happy with this, you know, and we're, we're wanting to support it right away. So, yeah, I would be surprised if there are any, you know, avid Cuphead fans who did not purchase it 
the day it came out. But yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed all of these new boss fights, I'd say. Uh, e even the ones that I found very frustrating. Like, I, I like that they threw in new gimmicks and stuff to most of, if not all of these fights. You know, they, they added new wrinkles. Uh, they weren't just, you know, like another boss they, you know, they, they cranked out that could have been in the base game. You know, they had new ideas and they wanted yeah. to try something different. And, you know, I think they, they did it, you know, really great. And some of these fights definitely stand up to some of the best ones in the, the base game. Uh, and even surpassed a number of them. Uh, I, I really liked that. I think that's good for a boss yeah. rush type game. You want the DLC to feel like this is the devs working at their best. Another thing they did that's different is that they kind of combined together the concept of the running guns with the mausoleum challenges. The The running gun stages were how you got money to purchase the new power-ups uh, and such in, in the game. And I did not like the running gun sections as much. <laughs> uh, they, they, they could be very frustrating, uh, it felt like, even more than some of the boss fights. Uh, I, think, I, I think because of just, like the the cycle of it like it's it's so much easier in in a single boss fight to just kind of like you know if, if if you mess up keep hitting the reset and until you find the pattern fight and getting it and you know, going through it whereas through the running guns it feels like such a thing going back and forth through this these areas mm -hmm. even though it's effectively the same thing you're still just looking for patterns and such but uh, in this new one instead they have these uh, kings challenges which are they're basically like bosses in and of themselves but you're entirely stuck with only using, you know, your, your, your base, you know, characteristics like jumping and parrying and such. And so there's these parry challenges and they're all based on chess pieces, you know, kind of moving up the scale. So like the first one is a pawn and then you fight a knight. Uh, and it's like a, you know, a, a horse, uh, you know, character in a, in a, in a knight's outfit. And then you fight a bishop and, you know, and then so on for, for each of these challenges. And uh, they're, they're more interesting, I think, than the previous ways in you know, which you had these little side ones that weren't directly boss fights. But yeah, so so I'm enjoying that. And uh, I think it's it's really great. And of course, that Cuphead is one of the more fun... Because the big thing about Cuphead that I find compelling is because so many people say it's one of the hardest games ever. You know, it's one of the hardest games to do. And, um, and, and I think when people say that, they mean it in terms of perfecting it, like to get through everything without taking any damage, doing as fast as possible you know, and whatnot, or, and, and doing it on, like, the expert mode when you unlock that. That I'm inclined to believe, but I am by no means a great gamer, <laughs> and certainly in games of this caliber, but I can beat this game easily okay. and enjoyably. Fru, can you confirm or deny, is David an angry gamer? <laughs> Have there been foul words said from the mouth of the punch man? I'm treading very carefully. Do, do you want me to answer? Because I'll just say, I, yeah, yeah, I, I get really fucking mad. I get really fucking frustrated at games. Uh, it's, it, yeah, it's nuts. It's true. You know, I, I have been known to rage quite a bit. This is why I can't be a streamer. Nobody wants to see that shit. So, yeah, and, and Cuphead is a game I, I, I do cuss at, but I don't get angry at the game, and that's a big difference here, and I think that really comes down to what great design can be. Uh, and and so when people say Cuphead is a is a difficult game, I I don't think it's so much that as it is a challenging game, because yeah. And and, and the difference with that is that uh, whenever I get frustrated playing Cuphead or a similar game of difficulty like it, it's I'm always frustrated myself for messing up. I and very rarely do I feel like the game is throwing bullshit at me, and I want to chuck my controller across the room. That's that's very rarely the issue if ever. And that's always the merit of a good game. The fact that I can 
be pissed off and I can be yelling and screaming and wanting to be angry, but I keep playing. I keep going. <laughs> I, I keep yeah. I, I keep wanting to go in because it's it's the challenge and I and I know that I can do it is the thing, and it's just myself that is getting in the way. Right on, right on. Well, I've been uh, I've played a. Much like how Cuphead is a throwback to an earlier time in animation, I have played through a very similar throwback. I have played through the Henry Stickman collection. Henry Stickman collection. It was a very smooth transition, by the way. Very nice. Thank you. Um, Someday I'll get my cosplay wife. (laughs) Uh, So what the Henry Stickman collection is, I'm not familiar with what these games are, but uh, this collects four... Uh, classic Flash games, uh, choose-your-own-adventure games from the uh, hey, the golden era of Newgrounds, and remasters all the animation, and then adds in a jumbo-sized fifth uh, game. What the uh, what the games are, are sort of like comedic choose-your-own-adventures. You'll be playing as Henry Stickman, and you'll be presented with a scenario, and then you'll get like a series of goofy options that are most often like a reference or some sort of in-joke. Or just something like ridiculous and wacky. Like you'll be you'll be breaking into a bank and you'll need to get up on the roof and you'll say like grapple hooks, spring shoes, portal gun, etc. Mm-hmm. And while I never played these games in their original form, this definitely threw me back to being like thirteen and scrolling through flash games on kind of funny games, new grounds, etc. <laughs> etc. Et just like everything from like how the animation is done to like the se- the stock sound effects and the voice acting where it's all very clearly one guy being like I I'm doing a voice now I'm saying oh. lines oh, oh did you see that guy go in there um but it's all it's all so very charming and the comedy hit like so often for me this game is so quick with its punchlines often there's always like one right solution to what you click on but you still want to choose the other options because it's always some sort of goofy, wacky shit and where just, like, the character dies immediately. My favorite one, there's a moment where you get blockaded and you have to pick, like, uh, you're, you have a partner in that sequence and you both pick, like, a weapon. And if you pick Henry to have the, <laughs> the sniper rifle, he jumps over the blockade and does a 360 no-scope on the person he's with. <laughs> Okay. Wow. No, and that, that you, sounds great. <laughs> and then you get the choice to watch that again as a major league gamer edit, where it has the strobe <laughs> lights and the raid horns and the Mountain Dew and Doritos logos flashing all over the place. Oh, that's it great. Is, it is so funny and unpredictable. And even though it is, like, a lot of references, the references always feel earned, and they, like, go out of their way to, like, I don't know, just just do them right. Like they, again, there's another segment where you're with a partner and you have to like cross this gap and you can go with Henry's plan or the partner's plan and you swap between like what their options are and the swap is them literally doing the Donkey Kong Country tag in tag out oh, that's complete great. with complete with monkey sound effect. I love that. Um the absolute hardest I laughed was very early on. It's like the second chapter. You're running from some guards, and you have a choice. You have to pick where to go in the fork in the road, but you can also choose to just run backward, run back. And I clicked that, being like, what could this possibly be? And Henry does a trip 
and you immediately fall, and you get the text on the screen that says LOL Brawl Reference. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it definitely seems like it's got that good referential throwback for the, for the people who are, you know... Um, yeah, I yeah, have that fondness for for a lot of those games. I, I, I fully recommend this game at full price. Not uh, not just for fans of the games. Like, if everything I'm saying sounds cool, the games are still up on their original like websites, so you can go play them. You'll just be missing out on some redone animation and removal of copywritten music. But what I think makes the collection real worthwhile is the final chapter, which can play out a number of different ways because you go back through all the other chapters. And you can select which endings are canon, effectively making a world state, which causes that last chapter to play out completely differently each time, with like completely different choices, completely different paths. It's a, uh, it's great. I love it. Interesting choices and paths uh, seem like a very <laughs> fitting uh, parallel to to our, our game of the week this time. Oh, I I know how to pick them. I know how to format them. Yeah, yeah. Seems seems like it. Another game I I. Uh, picked with choices and paths is uh arcade spirits now this i picked because i felt i always like to do different genres of games for what you play in mm-hmm. and so okay. this was me seeking out a dating sim wait so okay wait hold on oh my i'm yeah i pulled it up oh you're looking at the game oh page. you know what now i remember you telling uh, uh you talking about this because originally you, you made it sound a lot more interesting than it sounded like it, it ended up being. Yeah, I, I, I didn't really... I, I I had $3 left on a prepaid card. So I was like, what what's on sale on Steam for, for $3 or less? And this was on sale, so I got it. Oh my, that retails for 20 Okay. So, but but when you mentioned it, when you suggested what it was going to be, you said it was a, a dating sim about arcade machines was i believe i thought how, how you because we're in this new terrifying age of dating sims where there's a lot of like dating inanimate objects i thought this was going to be you were dating ghosts possessing arcade machines <laughs> because spirits that is that is not what it is about that um, that sounds like a real shame <laughs> yeah when's the podcast dating sim gonna be <laughs> right right and so like so do you do you normally like do you partake in dating sims? So that was what I was trying to think about with this game because I was pondering like what was the last like legitimate dating sim I played because right now when I think about it I was like all the dating sims I've played have either been parodies or like non-serious. I was thinking like okay I played Doki Doki Literature Club okay. mm-hmm. but not really. I played Hatoful Boyfriend again okay. not really. I played Honey Pop. Again, yeah. not really. <laughs> um, but the thing about Arcade Sphere is, it's, it's not really a dating sim. It's more like a visual novel with romance options. Okay, because like immediately the website even says, a visual novel romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it funny? <laughs> My silence is deafening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, that's pretty it, damning. This game has a lot of heart and charm. Oh no! I don't really think it was for me. Uh, the, the The story premise is that this is set in the not too distant future in a timeline where the video game crash of 1983 did not occur. So video games reached mainstream acceptance more, and there's like arcades on every corner. You play a character, 
for all intents and purposes, his name's Smurf. He's <laughs> um, down on his luck. He's had a string of bad jobs. So his phone AI hooks him up with a job at a strip mall arcade full okay. of wacky characters and gamers. And he, uh, you, you learn to to make a found family, and Aww. to you know, it's about finding happiness where you are and not sort of pining for a job with more money i guess <laughs> i don't really know how to how to pitch it it's um I, I i do like the themes of this game because i i'm a person where i think a few years ago i i stopped really caring about seeking out like the job that will set me up for life mm-hmm. like you know what if i'm happy doing what i'm doing then you know, your your career does not need to be your life and that's kind of the message of this game as far as like a dating sim the the romance options are kind of subdued in fact this game has eight chapters you effectively get your love interest by chapter five. Oh, okay and then the other three are kind of going to a a whole new plot that feels a bit rushed i think this game could have been like trimmed or at least reorganized a bit at the very least the main cast i find very likable um it has a good like i, I would watch this web series feeling um, okay yeah and it is a very diverse game in terms of representation not just for different uh races but also different uh sexual or gender identities in fact that's kind of one of the things i really like about the game at the start it asks you like what are you looking for in a partner and you can be oh. like well i'm looking for you know i'm, I'm lo- looking to get hot and bothered or i'm just <laughs> looking for like the one and then, and depending on, like, those choices you pick, if you choose, like, I'm looking for, like, romance, first and foremost, it will actually cut out and edit a lot of the more, like, sexually charged dialogue. Oh, wow. Because some people are put off by that. Or you can just straight up say, like, my character's asexual, I'm looking for friendship. Mm. Okay. And that removes romance, like, completely from the game, and it's just about, like, making friends with these people. Um, and that, um, not only for representation purposes, but I think that's something I would want in more dating sims going forward, because often, you know, with a dating sim, I find I am picking options that lead me to the, to the romance I want, mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than picking things that maybe I, Murph IRL, would pick. Oh, um, yeah. And also sometimes you avoid, like, going down certain characters' paths because you don't want to wind up like romantically involved with them like in this game there's a character named percy who's like this 40 year old british dude who uh is in the art he's got a dad bod he's in the uh arcade all day playing this pac-man like called mr moopy's magic maze and he's his dream is to get the world high score but he's also weirdly like a multi-billionaire he sounds like a stud and i was just kind of like you know not really my type but I, w- I really want to know what this dude's deal is, what his story is. So I think if I were ever to play through this again, I think I totally would pick like the I just want to make friends option. That way I could sort of go down people's paths with impunity. Yeah, no, that actually sounds really good. Like turning more regular dating sims into friend sims, more visual novel types, but still having that romance option if you so please. Yeah. I think, like I said, I think the game has a lot of heart in it. Um, it just got a sequel, which I see is getting good reviews. Um, unfortunately, you don't really play any games in this game about arcades. I thought oh. it would have, like, mini games or something, but no, it, it's strictly a visual novel. Mm. All right. But you said it's not one you really recommend? I think I think it's a sale pickup. Okay. I think if you're, if you're into this genre, 
Um, I think the game definitely has a lot to offer. The only thing I'm really down on is there's a lot of art inconsistency where the main cast are really detailed with like good shading and character design, but then a lot of the NPCs or unnamed characters look very default wiki how. Oh, <laughs> Oh. Which is very jarring when both are on screen at the same time. Yeah, yeah, that would be. I'm I'm looking at I, I believe this must be the love interests. Are are there six options? Yes. They you know, I who did you who did you go with? I don't know who anyone is. I I went uh for the the streamer uh pro gamer girl. <laughs> okay, I'm trying to figure out which one of these the one, the one is. with the bee motif. Okay, okay. They gave her like kind of like a Regina George face. Yes, yes. Okay, mm. okay, I got it. And who's the artsy one? I'm assuming she works with you. Uh, yes, she's she's the she's the one that knows about games. Oh, like okay. how they're made, the arcade cabinets. Her name is Naomi, which is a reference to uh, a uh, Sega. Uh, circuit board. Oh, okay. It's actually got a lot of like neat little references. They uh, there's a like a chapter that's like a ghost story featuring uh Polybius, which is mm. like if you know local, it, it's actually based in Oregon lore. Uh, like a haunted arcade cabinet that was maybe like developed by the CIA to influence what? mind control and stuff. Wait. <laughs> what? Uh, the villain of the game runs a series of very steer- sterile restaurant arcades that are all, like, gotcha games and ticket redeems, and it's called Deco's Palace, and later oh. you learn the, the owner's name is Deco Nami. <laughs> Deco Nami. Deco Nami. <laughs> do you get it? Y- yes, I, yes, I get it. Those are references. But do you get it, though? Do you get but, the re- but I do, do get, get it. I, I do think I might, it's all, I, I might be, get it. I'm not sure, you, because it's all pachinko machines. And you know he's what? Destroying, <laughs> he's destroying classic games by turning them into pachinko machines. Do you get Do you get the, the very subtle Deco-Nami? <laughs> you know, you know, maybe I don't. Maybe maybe you should go over it like one, one more time. Maybe, maybe I need spinoffs. <laughs> well, I don't really know if we have enough time to unpack that incredibly subtle uh, <laughs> pun and reference. <laughs> Fru, do you know anything about unpacking? Uh, you know, th- that was actually a good point because uh, the-, the first thing I was going to say is, um, h- have you ever moved? Have you ever moved domiciles? Um, because I have. One, uh, once I... when I was six, <laughs> and never since. <laughs> and never since. Um, Most people have, I think. Uh, you know, and and, yeah. and I had some practice. Like my family grew up. I always, my parents are young. I keep saying we grew up as if we all grew up together. Um, <laughs> we kind of did. We kind of did. Not not really. But, you know, like if my like my dad would be stationed and we would have to move. So I've been pretty used to moving. And so um, Unpacking, it came out last year. I'm pretty sure a lot of us did hear about it. I heard about it a lot in my spheres. I'm playing it on the Switch as I'm playing everything right now. Yeah, um, last time we hung out, you made me play it. Made you. And did you enjoy any of it? I did enjoy it. I'm waiting for I'm waiting for it to have a deeper sale. Yes, yes, that's gonna be the thing I get to. Um, because so the interesting thing I found about this was um, so this is an indie developer from Australia called Witchbeam, and this is like the only game they have. 
They yeah. have one other game, which is like a 3D arcade style shoot 'em up. A bit of a na- jump in genre. A bit of a jump in genre, and it's and it's the name is so long that I cannot be arsed to remember what it is. I'm so sorry mm. if somehow anyone from Witchbee was listening to this. The name is too long. But mm-hmm. Unpacking is very sweet, and I'm playing it again because after I had you play it, it was still open on my Switch, and I was like, uh. and it, it stared me in the face, and it was like one level, and I was like, I'll do one level, and now I'm playing again. And I realize now that I will probably, probably cry every time I play this game. And that's the really surprising thing, playing it, was that the thing that you don't really expect is that the neat little thing that the game does is that it invites you to know the story as much or as little as you want, as you're comfortable with. Like, if you're just here to unpack stuff, there's so much unpacking to do. There's an annoying amount of stuff to unpack. out of boxes and finding a neat little place for them. Exactly. But there's also, like, little stories to be found in, like, oh, I've I've moved with this item four times Cause, now. Yeah, because it takes place over... Like, 11 years. Yeah, yeah. So it's, like, there's there's these different chapters in each level, and essentially it's, like, a new era. And, and you see this person kind of growing up, it kind of feels like, yeah. and, and having these different stages in their mm. life. And you did play it, too. I remember that now. Yeah. Like you did pick it up and you played some levels and did you did you enjoy it? Yeah. yeah how much quite. did how much did he cuss at unpacking? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing: is that like unpacking, like it, it the way that the game comes out of the box is that it is very like oh this thing you can move like if there's already pieces in a home like during college we move in with like three friends yeah and so like oh there's stuff that you can or cannot move and that's like spoilers for unpacking I guess I don't know if anyone really cares. Um, there's, like, the chapter, which is terrible, because, like, we move in with this boyfriend after college, and he has no room for your shit. Oh. That's in, that's literal environmental storytelling. Yeah, yeah like, he has yeah. no room for your stuff in his fancy, fancy apartment. And, like, the worst part is, like, you're going through all of your things, and already you've entirely rearranged the closet because he's managed to spread three neckties out over an entire <laughs> drawer. Oh. And it's terrible. Like, there's no room for you. And finally, like, out of a box, you pull out your college degree, and there's nowhere to hang it in the apartment. Oh. You're not, allow- you're not allowed to move anything, including this gigantic piece of ugly, fucking ugly... <laughs> Oh, this is wall art in the kitchen. This and, is affecting me just hearing about it. Oh, it's terrible. Like, literally the first time, like, I hid the degree. Like, I just put the degree under the bed and I cried for, like, two minutes. Because that was an acceptable spot for Because it. that was an okay place you, to put it'll it. It'll tell you, like, it'll be like a red outline or whatever. It'll say, you can't keep this item here. Like, yeah. there's, there's specific it's, areas. It's terrible. And, like, and what makes it worse is that after... Do you, do you want to explain the rest? Because that's already pretty... No, 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 no. Okay. You have to hear, you have to hear okay, the last part. I'm not going to give you the... I'm not going to give you the happy part. I'm going to tell you the harrowing lows. Okay, fair enough. Is that you move back to your parents' house. <laughs> you move back to your childhood bedroom two years later. <laughs> and you pull out a picture that was hanging on the fridge. And, like, mm. all the figures are obscured, but you can assume that it's you and your boyfriend when it's in the boyfriend's apartment. Yeah. But when you're moving back into your parents' house, now you don't have anywhere to put this photo, and the game is telling you to hide it somewhere. Oh. 
put the photo away. Just get rid of it. And it's such a nice little... So there's times during the game where it's annoying and it's like, I don't know what this thing is that you are even giving me to unpack, so I don't yeah. know where to put it. And it took me forever to figure out that it was like a paint palette. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. It took so long. When I played it, I found it very therapeutic because even though, um, as you can see, <laughs> I am not a very organized person. No, I, I totally uh, get that. But... Though. But I I do like just the visual of, like, everything in its place, everything nice and symmetrical. Um, The one thing that annoyed me about the game when I played it with you guys is that it was very... It wasn't very flexible. No, uh, it's With not. where things could go. Because I was like, oh, we got, a, like, a little a little posing, like, uh, what, what like a... Like a drawing called? model. Like, yeah. And I was like, oh, that can go on the water tank of the toilet. Because yeah. that's where I would put something like that. Exactly. Something to play with while you poop. And the game was like, <laughs> no, this is a bedroom item. And, yeah, and, and it, Witchbeam, as a developer, is aware of this. I think if not for certain bits of feedback from the very loud player base in communities like Twitter or TikTok, that are like, why can mm-hmm. I not put the thing here? And yeah. I remember explicitly because they responded to it with a cheeky little video of, yes, now you can put the large kitchen knife wherever you would like <laughs> in this new game mode where you can just put things where you want, but please complete the game one time the way we would like you to. That's, that seems like a nice way to address that in some capacity. Yeah. Because I, I think one of the big things is that, like, you don't get the bit, like, the diploma bit or whatever if you can automatically just put things more yeah. or less wherever. Right, Like, right. the idea that there is a general idea of location where things go, where the game wants you to put things, allows it to tell its story yeah. in that very natural way. And that being mm-hmm. said, it's a pretty straightforward, short-ish story, and it's the only one in the game. And I yeah. think that's, like, the only drawback, is that there's, like, there's there's no other stories, and it doesn't really offer a ton of replayability. Yeah, so this is, like, the big question with these emotional indie games. This is, it's, at full price, it's $20. Yeah. Does it feel $20? Even with, like, the tears and the emotional payoffs and the... So, honestly, honestly, wait for a sale. I bought it on sale, and I'm so happy that I bought it on sale specifically. Yeah. That's, like, and honestly, even in retrospect, I'm like, I could have waited for a deeper sale. I could have. I waited for $11. I could have waited for, like, $8. Maybe. Yeah. And it would have totally been worth it. And then if it were like $8 at that price point, I would have been like, that's an amazing game. That's an amazing mm. game for how much you pay. And that's just, yeah, I just, I always feel bad doing that with like indie games that are clearly like coming from a place of originality and, and Oh, and heart. it's so personal. It's clearly so personal to, to the writer or the director, whoever was really in charge of like bringing that story to life. It's clearly so like rooted in a lot of what happened for that creator and so a lot of that is like oh you clearly told your story but i kind of wish that maybe there was two or three other stories that i could do as well (laughs) and maybe get that same kind of payoff (laughs) that's a real emotional evocative story you got there Eh, eight bucks (laughs) but uh what does it do for consumerism Um, how many heartbreaking stories can you sell? It's about stuff, isn't it? (laughs) It's about stuff. This box can fit so many traumas in it. (laughs) I like that you tapped David when you said that. (laughs) (laughs) This is my box. (laughs) 
full of trouble. Um, you know, speaking of games that are maybe not worth their price, oh. um, it's time for for the the Murph gets mean oh. segment. Oh, oh I'm ready. I'm, my it. body uh, is ready. So I, I played a game called Time Frame. It looks like the way you have it piped out here more, looks more like Time Frame. <laughs> I was trying to remember, oh, it's time is capitalized, and then frame is lowercase. Is it the other way around? So it's more oh, yeah. time frame? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this was, I, I, I was coming off the high of the Mist episode, and it was like, what, what's, a, what's a modern Mist-like game? And I saw this in my Steam library, probably acquired from some various and sundry bundle at some point. The premise of this game is real neat. Um, the premise is, is that you are exploring... A world in its final moments. Like, time is slowed down at the point of an apocalyptic disaster. And you explore the world and find, like, documents and, like, just literally explore. There's not really puzzles. It's it's very much just a walking sim. And your goal is to find, like, uh, it's like 13 pieces of, like, culture. And then... As the uh, as the uh, disaster is happening, at some point it will eventually occur, and then time resets, and Ooh. you're back at your starting point, and you know the disaster is coming, so you've got to like make it to every location to get all the documents. Okay, so like Majora's Mask, <laughs> kind in, of. In, in a Majora's way, Mask like... was just like a walking sim. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like obviously not in like the gameplay aspect, but in like the yeah. The time sense in that, you know, there's a there's a reset mechanic in terms of getting things done before this end of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is where I'm going to get mean. This game is currently on... is It's currently sells for $6. I think its price should be zero. Ooh. I this, Ouch. I think this is a very... This... I'm, I'm not even going to say interesting. This should have been on, like, itch.io. Oh, it's like, no. look, at, look at this uh, concept for a game I have. Um, because it's not graphically interesting to look at. Your gameplay is strictly walking. There's nothing to look at. Oh. It is, like, barren fields, and it kind of has this motif with the art where it's all, like, um, interconnecting triangles. Like, the oh, okay. uh, sky looks like a mosaic. Okay. Um, but it's like, all, you know, in theory, what the game is, is, you know, walking between these locations and sitting with your thoughts and contemplating this dying world. The issue is, is that the locations you go to are so not constructed in a way that feels like a physical space. Like there's a city you walk through and it's buildings jutting out of the grass. There's like no roads or paths or like anything Ooh. that looks like it was a lived in space. And all the lore documents you find, for one thing, three of them are just, like, drawings of the same thing at different points in this world's history. But all the other documents are written, like, so proper noundium. Um, <laughs> where they're literally signed shit, like, Abathar the 13th of the uh, 879th Age of the Confessor. It's like, I have no idea what that means, but props to him, bro. <laughs> meaner. Um, get meaner. The the game the, the game has a very nice soundtrack. 
And by what I mean is it has one it has one song (laughs) stretched out over a five over that five minute loop of gameplay. Uh, I'm I'm being shown a uh, popular user defined tag on Steam is great soundtrack. (laughs) Yeah, no, because that's how um, because there is you once you realize what the disaster is, you can look for it. Um, But if your backs to it you can start to uh, tell how close it's approaching by the soundtrack. Is it elephants? So, no. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say um, Heat Death of the Universe, but... <laughs> that, that, that was very descriptive. Thank you. I'm sure that people could hear that hand wave, you know. So right, that's why I vocalized it. <laughs> so, um, so, like, when the disaster's getting close, you start to hear, like, like the drums start to pick up, and you're like, oh, crap, oh, crap, gotta make it to the next spot, and gotta make it to the next document so I can collect it, so I don't have to walk here again. What I got from this game is a very interesting premise of that I think could lay the groundwork for something much more expanded upon. Like, this idea okay. of exploring a world in its, like, literal final moments and collecting its history... Like, do that, but really expand it. Do, like, have there be, like, a hundred documents. Yeah. And it's and it ranges from, like, you know, excerpts of their history or, like, their religion or what have you. And then have, have some things be, like, real benign stuff. Like, I don't know, a guy's love poem or a right. child's homework, a, a cereal box, etc. And then yeah. maybe at the end, uh, because part of the premise is that you're collecting these things for this civilization to put on a satellite and launch into space, so some part of them remains. Oh. And that's something that... Here, here's some Murph lore for you. Okay. I think about the Voyager spacecraft almost on a weekly basis. Oh, yeah, and how much of how much of humanity is on it. Yeah, if you don't know the Voyager spacecraft, this was something shot out in the 70s? Yeah. Or something, and it's like has a... a gold record on it that has like recordings of music all across the world it has people saying like i love you and hello and like it's like 90 different languages there are pictures of natural wonders and buildings and machinery and people and it's just like you know it was shot up it was built and shot into space just so humanity exists out in space to some capacity like where maybe another like alien race will find it or, you know, maybe humanity will die and that's, like, the last remnants of us in the universe. But I think about that constantly. Oh, yeah. And that's and that's what this game got me to thought, think about. So if you have this idea of, you know, a hundred different pieces of culture you're finding. Right. And then maybe when you get to the satellite, you can only pick ten. Oh, shit, yeah. No, see, that's and already that, stakes. Yeah, and that's, like, and like just add, you know, it's not good when you're playing the game and you're thinking of a much better game. <laughs> like a much better version yeah. of what it could be. Oh yeah, no, because like what I'm what I'm hearing you talk about is like world building, like a lack of actual world building. There are there are structures and there is gameplay and there is an idea of a story, but there's no substance. <laughs> yeah, it, here's no no, here's the meanest I will get. Okay. Um <laughs> you give me an afternoon and a um you give me like what the text of each document is in this game i could recreate this in spore galactic adventures <laughs> oh fuck <laughs> would, would you please i i Bet. absolutely could i know exactly how i would do the disaster like yeah i i no i not I even not that. even on sale Spite, not even on sale <laughs> 
This feels like something I would see at a modern art museum. Oh. And not even as a playable thing, just something that's playing on loop. Okay. On, like, a kiosk next to a pyramid made out of plastic water bottles called Modern Ozymandias. So, so recently I came across the idea, like, watching a movie recently with the idea of this isn't so much a story, this is a diorama. Would you mm-hmm. say would you say that this feels more like a diorama experience? Yes, but the thing is, is that like like I said, the diorama is a, itself isn't interesting. It doesn't feel like anything because you know, ostensibly the idea is that you are decoding the history of this world yeah. as you find like documents. But the documents themselves are so like esoteric and steeped in like proper nouns. There's no like. Oh, moment. Yeah, there's nothing to really, there's nothing really to grasp onto. The, the, imp- the information I had at the start feels like almost the information I ended with. Okay. Yeah, because like there's no, there's no grit to actually grab onto. Yeah, there's not really a narrative at work here other than the basic premise of save culture. Yes, yes. And, and while that's a very pretty and worthwhile idea it's certainly not engaging for a format like video games which inherently have an objective not a mantra <laughs> so so shifting from from murph being being mean uh to to murph being head over heels in love with a game okay <laughs> um i'm going to talk about return of the obra den what is that so so this was a shout out to uh pluribus on the uh twin geeks discord for recommending me this game. This game, I'm kind of Ooh. late to the party on this. Yeah, I'm looking um, at the... Yeah, so this is from the people that did um, uh, uh, Papers, Please. Oh, okay. I like that is, game. Uh, yeah, and so this has very much the same UI elements. It's done in this like very stylized vector graphic style. Well, um, it instantly looks like, you know, Here Be Monsters sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what the premise of this game is, is that... Uh, the Obritin is a ship uh, that went out to... Yeah, it's set in like the 1700s, the time of the East India Trading Company. And cool. the Obritin went out on a mission to uh, the Orient, and it never returned, and it has mysteriously appeared back in the harbor completely deserted. Ooh. And so you work for the East India Trading Company to deduce what happened. And you can do this because you have a magic pocket watch that shows you... Um, when you find a corpse, it shows you that corpse's final moments. Ooh, okay. And so you have a ledger of 60 crew members and passengers, and you have to ID them all and put their cause of death. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, I like that. It starts at the end. It's broken up into 10 chapters. You start at chapter 10, where the captor is fending off his last three crew members who he kills, and then he commits suicide. And you work backwards from there to figure out what happened. And, uh, like, the detective part, the actual puzzle part, is astounding in how it's done. This is actually uh, competing with World of Goo for my favorite puzzle game right now. Wow. Wow. That's that's considerable praise. So, so, yeah, people that listen to the podcast on the World of Goo episode know how much I love the, that game, so you should know how much I love this game if it's currently, like, competing for that spot. Yeah. Only on one playthrough. Um, because the actual... Very few names are spoken. You have a list of crew... of everyone's names and their position on the ship. But it's not, like, 
as easy as a character saying, like, Francis, hand me that oar, will you? And then you're like, oh, that's Francis. Mm-hmm. You have to, like, pay attention to where people are at on the ship. You get a map. So you're like, oh, that guy's walking out of the uh, third mate's quarters. Ergo, he must be the third mate. And then you pay attention to that guy throughout the story. And like, oh, that guy gets shot in this chapter. So I'm going to put down, he's the third crewmate. He gets shot by this person. Okay. And then um, the game will only tell you if you're correct when when you've gotten three Mm. at a time. So sometimes you're just guessing, especially towards the end, if you went for completion like I did. Um, And you're like... Uh, I think this, I think that guy is definitely the helmsman and he dies in this scene. So I'm going to put down that and it doesn't like say, you got it. Instead, there's like, you know, you have to get two more or possibly one more because you don't know how many you've gotten right so far. And then when it does happen, the screen goes black and it says, you've done it. Three more fates have been sealed. And that moment, every time it happens, is, like, the most visceral, I've solved the puzzle moment ever. Like, I was doing a little dance every oh. single time. Like, oh, I was yeah. doing the, my, my brain is so big and wrinkled dance. <laughs> the I am so smart dance. Yeah, yes, I because love it. It, it's, like, the best detective game ever made for me. The best. Because, yes. Because I, you actually do real detective work. You're, like, paying attention, like, okay, this guy just said some Swedish words. Uh, there's only one Swedish guy on the ship, and he's the cook. And this guy is hanging... Um, that means the guy next to him must be the cook's assistant. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, there are 60 fates to f- see, like, like, to discover, which feels daunting at first. But once you, like, get on a roll, you really get on a roll. Um, in what, like, one of the crew members, when you view, like, one of the more calmer chapters, you can see a lot of the crew members sleeping in their, uh, bunks, but obviously their faces are, and the bunks are labeled with, like, the number of, like, where they are on the ship. Mm-hmm. Like, this is crew member, this is, uh, you know, uh, man on deck 30, and et cetera, et cetera. But they've got their faces covered, so you can't be like, oh, there he is, there he is. But, like, one guy has his arm hanging out, and he has a very distinct tattoo of a woman. Mm, okay. And you're like, okay, so crew member 59 has a tattoo of a woman. So you go back to all the other group scenes you've looked at, and you're like, that guy has a tattoo of a woman. He's crew member 59. And so on in that fashion. All right. Yeah, I can see why that's really satisfying to solve. Because <laughs> here's the issue. This game is so good, and I beat it 100%. Like, I solved all the fates. And I didn't look at a guide once. And that's, like, so satisfying. Right. And I got it 100%. So now I have to wait, like, two, three years for me to forget everything so I can experience it again. Oh, no. And that's the anguish that this game fills me with. I Well, so to be a slightly little bit critical, um, the one thing I think keeps this game from being, like, a solid 10 out of 10... It comes with that 100% completion because there are 10 chapters that you view across various people's deaths on the boats. Um, one of them is locked off to you and it explicitly says you will not see the events of this chapter until you've solved everyone's fates. And you can choose to leave. You can choose to like say, okay, I've solved the mystery and leave the boat at any time. In fact, mm-hmm. there's an achievement for blaming everyone's death on the captain. <laughs> um, but that secret chapter isn't really anything substantive, like, at all. Um, it's, it, it's a lot of, like, yeah, I figured that's what happened. 
Um, so it doesn't feel satisfying as a conclusion. In fact, I'm not really even sure why it was secret other than to give a conclusion, like something to get for getting all the crew members' fates. Okay. Yeah, but um, I, I wholeheartedly recommend this. I think the two of you would like this. Can you, yeah, can you remind me of the name one more time? Return of the Obra Dinn. Return of the Obra Dinn. And so it's, it's $20 on Steam, so it sounds like it's and it's on, it. And it's on Switch. Oh, oh okay. okay, good to know. And, um, yeah. and I did see that there's a bundle that comes with the soundtrack. Is the soundtrack pretty notable? Yeah, yeah, because um, all the scenes you see are still. Um, mm. There's actually very little animation in the game. So when you're seeing someone's final moments, like um, like someone getting shot, it's just the still, it's like everything's frozen in time. So you see them getting shot and like lurching back and maybe like the bullet exiting out their backside. Mm-hmm. And that's all frozen mm-hmm. in time. So you see where everyone's like at and that moment. Okay. And during that moment, like the music sweat is like swelling and playing around. Um, yeah, I think it gets a lot out of its premise. I would, I would love to see another game like this just to get that rush of like deducing things. Okay. Um, it's just so satisfying and I haven't gotten in any other game of this type. Oh, that is some high, high, high praise then. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And it did. It really shows what you can do with uh, video games and how they tell unique stories with their medium. But what about video games that rely on older mediums of storytelling, such as film? <laughs> <laughs> Like the music this, is, this is my expertise. This is, this is yeah, the thing that I... So I'm... the Variety Minute of this week, uh, going off of our game of the week, the Variety Minute is... I know I was rather broad with this, so I broke it <laughs> down into three different little, like, sort of categories. Yeah. Cinematic games, cinematic language and games, and overall game cutscenes. Okay. So I feel like, you know... Especially from Sony's, like, PlayStation offerings, they mm-hmm. are really leaning into games with, like, cinematic stories. Yeah. Stuff yeah. like The Last of Us, Uncharted. Um, God of War. Stuff like Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, God yeah. of War, like, leaning really into, like, mo-capped actors, getting, like, real, like, film directors in to direct the cutscenes and cinematography and everything. David, are video game cinema... <laughs> No, no, they're definitely different. Uh, Pong is not cinema. Uh, you, you might be surprised to. Are video discover. game cutscenes cinema? I, I mean, they could, they could be, but Ar- not, 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 not particularly. They're more like roller coasters. Yes, hmm. that's a, that's a great way to put it. Okay, okay. So, like when it feels like what, like the PS2 era is when games really started leaning in, like, high-production cutscenes. Yeah. Specifically cutscenes replicating, like, film language, or even, like, TV language. What's the first cutscene in a video game? Donkey Kong? (laughs) No, I'm not not even being facetious. No, no, I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and it's just... Donkey Kong climbing the tower and stomping (laughs) down the girders. Yeah. I I would count that as a cutscene. I guess, but it doesn't, like, really change well, like, I, I guess how do you define a cutscene i guess is the, the little thing. interstitials between mazes and pac-man miss pac-man specifically <laughs> yeah because i would think a cutscene in terms of like the language of video games would be you are cutting the gameplay for a yeah separate scene mm-hmm. 
And so, like, uh. in terms of Donkey Kong, I wouldn't really consider, like, you're opening the game with that. I, w- I would think, like... It's exposition. <laughs> does it have to be different, like, from the, the, the mechanics of the game itself? Because, like, with the Donkey Kong cutscene, it's still the same uh, th- thing. It's just, like, the, 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 the game itself running it. Yeah? Yeah. So something like, like Half-Life, where okay. all the cutscenes are done in-engine. It's, mm. like, characters talking and you still have full control over the character. So you yeah. can fo- you can look at them and see all, like, the animation and stuff that Valve did. Or you can just, like, whack your crowbar right. into a wall until the, <laughs> until the dialogue's ended. Yeah, so, that, so there's still a cutscene. But yeah. then you've got games like Uncharted, which I remember, like, Uncharted 2 specifically having this ad where it's, like, a dude say, like speaking to Sony, like, Hey, Sony, I can't keep this up for much longer. My girlfriend thinks Uncharted is a movie we're watching. <laughs> Ugh. The chat, the, the chat energy I just got off of that was intense. I love it. <laughs> I I don't know. There's something about there's something about the idea of what we expect the language of cutscenes to be. There's something that uh, it occurred to me the other day that there is something that feels very fucking familiar about the way that Universal Studios installs screens on all their rides. Now mm. half yeah. half the half the ride is screen, and it's. It's not so much a cutscene that really tells the story so much as it is a like it's meant to be observed in passing, yeah. Sort of thing, and it feels like a lot of times a lot of cinematic cutscenes in large AAA titles, like it feels like a good number of those could be categorized in that same sort of way. Well, and I feel like when we talk about cinematic games, we are referring largely to those AAA. Sony games primarily. Yeah, Sony releases yeah. have a market, what, you know. What, which means that uh, you probably grabbed the wrong people for this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I like atmospheric Switch games where I can just dissociate <laughs> for three hours. Yeah, yeah, because I, I remember we were talking ahead of time and I was like, oh, so like, what, you know, think about like, what was the first game to impress you with its cutscenes? And Fru said, I have no mouth and I must scream. <laughs> And I was like, you know, not quite the style of cutscene I was thinking of, but... Yeah, I, I, I knew I was answering wrong, but I was just like, my brain had just turned to mush in that moment, where I was like, what games do I play that have cutscenes? Does, I was does thinking, the creator at the end of Minecraft count as a cutscene? <laughs> I was thinking, so my answer for that, I was thinking the first Ratchet and Clank. Okay. Was the, the first game where I'm like, oh my, I'm playing an animated movie. With how well these cutscenes are animated, and they've got little cinematographies and things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, like like you said, it was kind of a, a vague topic initially, uh, and and I wasn't really sure. I, I I thought about things like we we talked about we talked about like Bioshock. It's really as, like as, the as first one, real the one. Like when I thought about yeah. it was like when you enter, like when you see Rapture. It's that shot with the whale, mm-hmm. and you see yeah. Rapture for the first time inside the bathysphere. That's that's really like the first time where it was like, oh shit, this game's serious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I reached out as well because I felt like I was just drawing such a blank. And uh, just to kind of demonstrate how interpretable this question was, I I, mm-hmm. I, I got a couple of our Twin Geeks people to, to weigh in. First, I contacted our good friend Stephen, co-host of uh, many <laughs> podcasts and uh, newlywed man, himself. Man of many podcasts. Yeah. And I, I said... I'll just, I'll I heard he got married. Yes, he did. He did. <laughs> Very uh, warm congratulations to him from all of us here. 
I, I asked him, would you like to suggest to me some of your favorite cinematic games? And he said, David Fincher's The Game. The fuck is that? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a film that David Fincher made starring Michael Douglas. Shut the act. I, 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 yeah. Steven, he, he Steven not... I'm undoing your marriage. <laughs> He would not elaborate. He said it's 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 his best answer. So that's what I got. Okay, who else? His second answer was funny <laughs> games, wasn't it? That's a good answer. So for a good follow-up. Oh, God. But no, I, I reached out to, to Pavlos as well, um, you know, our former co-host here. And he, he was a little more insightful, but uh, still not quite sure what to make of the question. Okay. He gave me Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, mm. Final Fantasy X, mm. and uh, the Phoenix Wright games, Ace Attorney's. Okay. Which, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, so you got a lot of variety there, I think, in terms of the interpretation of the question. Mm-hmm. But, like, only one of those Final Fantasy X have, like... Yeah. The the very... What I'm thinking of cinematic is, like, literally the gameplay stops and now you are watching a movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not at all opposed to, you know, a, a game kind of stopping and talking to you for a bit. But there is something to be said about it. Not using the full extent of of the game, you know, capability, interactability. Um, yeah. But but certainly the you know it's, it it is another tool in the you know developer's belt to um, you know communicate and to convey a story to you and, and should what, be utilized. What about when a game is sold on saying it has a cinematic story? What the hell does that mean? I feel I'm, like they're right, I feel like they're capitalizing on this idea of just like a traditional story is. Like the hero's journey, beginning, middle, yeah. end, call to adventure, returning back to square one, changed, <laughs> and yeah. ultimately everything is the same back home. And it, it's like promising that, but at the same time, I don't know who exactly that is appealing to in a video game demographic. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're the, they're the ones that seem to sell. Again, like, you know, that's that's Sony's whole shtick right now. Yeah. This big, yeah. you know, movie-like, you know... Uh, you know, they, they're really trying to immerse you in this sense of spectacle and, and grandeur uh, in terms of the storytelling. They, they really build it up like this. And, uh, you know, for, for me, that, that feels like more putting off. You know, I, I feel less enticed by, by those. Does it feel like... How do I want to phrase this? Because to me, it comes across as, look, video games are art. They are now movies. Yeah, mm, no, I yeah, totally I get that. that. I mean, like the thing that I it's feel... like it's like with prestige television. It's right. like, oh, look, we have the good cinematography and lighting. TV yeah. is movies now, and movies are art first, and, <laughs> or were art first. The other thing that it makes me think of, especially with something like this, is that when we think of cinematic stories, I feel like it comes across as this idea of escapist entertainment even more so like it is prepackaged mm. that way and it feels like a lot of media is really turning into stories that are very easy to immerse yourself in and step into and experience yourself so you have like these large epic pieces of media but at the same time you also have stories that are very inviting for you to identify with characters for you to come in and like really make make choices that really affect other people and feel like you have control over that kind of escapist journey. Mm-hmm. So, like, when... How about you feel about when, like, games use film techniques as a particular storytelling method? Like, we were talking about with Grim Fandango and mm-hmm. how it's a neo-noir. Is it, like, 
are the cutscenes done like a noir with like lots of heavy shadows and harsh angles. And that's just it, is that it feels like it doesn't really do that so much as just immerse it throughout. It's not even really... It's, it's more narrative tropes. It's definitely more narrative. Like, there's a lot of, like, internal okay, it's a lot more. It's a lot more pastiche. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because when I think of, like, film techniques being used to great effect in a game, I think of something like the most recent God of War. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, a... I don't really know if this is, was necessarily needed to be a selling point mentioned in every review and press release, but, like, part of that game is it's effectively done, quote-unquote, in one shot. Um, so okay. there are no... Anytime it transitions from gameplay to cutscene, it is seamless. There are no cuts whatsoever. Like, even accessing a menu, Kratos faces the camera and, like, the menu fades in behind him. So, like, very seamless gameplay. Okay. Yeah, and so that's that's done to great effect because you are always with Kratos. The camera is always on him because this is his personal journey. Okay. Um, even, like, when they're doing things like time passing, um, there's a great moment where he is just sitting on a boat alone with his thoughts and the demons in his head, and the camera is just circling around him. And it, okay. it doesn't cut to the end of his journey. You have to sit there with him with his thoughts. Oh, And I think yeah. that... And that's done... Like, that's actually adapting film technique into uh, game storytelling. Because once you're off that boat, you're you're back into controlling Kratos and moving around. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. But then you have other things like these uh, recent trends of open world games using auto-generated cutscenes. Um, and what that is is where they will have a sort of code or rigging system where they will type in, like, where the character's mouth and expression will automatically animate to accompany what sort of, like, audio they're being forced to put out. Oh. And this is done for a lot of, like, NPC quest givers in these big games, like um, Horizon Zero Dawn or, like, the most recent Assassin's Creed games, where it's a lot of, like, shot, reverse shot, two characters standing very still and just saying dialogue to each other. And I think you can see the great contrast between auto-generated cutscenes and handmade cutscenes yeah. comparing Assassin's Creed Odyssey to Assassin's Creed Origins. Origins was an open world game, but all of its cutscenes were hand done. It didn't have the shot reverse shot. Whereas right. Odyssey, because it's a game with like dialogue options and branching paths and a just a, a massive a much more massive map, mm-hmm. they they don't you know, they don't have the time and money to do all these like hand done cutscenes. Right, but do you find that that's more um do you find that auto-generated would be more fulfilling for a personal playthrough? It's like just a question because I am conscious of, I am conscious of the fact that video games do not fall out of Zeus's forehead. Right. They are they are made. They are crafted. So I'm like, do I really demand of these people to make one thousand unique individual cutscenes for the sheep herder telling you to take care of the bandits in their area? <laughs> And obviously the answer could be, well, don't have so many superfluous side quests. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, like, I, I, no, I don't put blame on the studios at all. I think it still gets, because the purpose of this is more often than not to exposit. Mm-hmm. And I think that exposits dialogue very well. You know, shot reverse shot is still used, like, even in high-end productions for two characters talking to each other. Right. So I don't know. David, what was the first game you remember being impressed by the cutscenes? Was there... Did you ever have a moment like video games or cinema now? I don't know that I ever did. I never... 
I, I don't think of the two as being especially similar. You know, um, certainly to never point of like comparison, and I just trying to remember any any particular cutscene. I don't know. It's just something that didn't necessarily stick out to me. Uh, I'm, any any experience of a game is really stuck with. I guess like story story wise, I'd have to think about that. I think I think that would be what I would come back to. It'd be like what what story stuck with me really first as a video game. And yeah. It just depends on how often I think the game reminds you that it's a game. I guess I was thinking, I was thinking Twilight Princess. Mm. And Twilight Princess has some very, like, some real weird and trippy cutscenes and some, like, real emotional cutscenes. But because it's a Zelda game, it's all text on screen for the dialogue. And you have to press the A button to move the scene forward. I can see that. Mm -hmm. I guess to go back even a little further... And to appeal to to your uh, nostalgic sensibilities a little more there, Murph. Uh, a first Kingdom Hearts game, I guess, is is one that mm -hmm, that, that mm -hmm. yeah yeah that that, that turning point uh, narratively, you know, that cutscene, I guess, is a is a big one. You know what? I take back my earlier answer. You're right. Uh, Ratchet and Clank can go to hell. It is the first Kingdom Hearts <laughs> game. Yeah, I guess that's that's the one that kind of sticks out to me is like a you know an impressionable narrative moment conveyed through a cutscene. What, what about you, Fru? Do you have any answers, or do you still have a hipster indie chick? No, no. It's Super Mario Sunshine. Mm. Okay, you know what? I was actually going to bring up Super Mario Sunshine as a negative. So, 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 you okay, always hold, do, hold, on, you always hold on, hold on. It's uh, it's it's a very no, specific cutscene. I, cut I love sunshine. Yeah, uh, fans of the podcast lore know I love sunshine. <laughs> we are fans of the podcast lore. I don't know what Dave was talking about. So, um, it's a very specific. It's really it's such an easy gimme. I mean, I was, um, I was a youngin. I had an original first run GameCube when they came out in the U.S. for yeah. some reason. Um, but that first scene when you actually see the villain, and you are, like, on the airstrip. Like, that's the yeah. only airstrip. And they actually had the animated mirage showing the heat on the uh, airstrip. You know what? That is a very distinct, like, I can picture yeah. it right now with the yeah. music and everything. Exactly. And it was like, it it blew my child mind <laughs> when yeah. I was a kid, where I was like, oh, this is video gaming. This is very yeah. intense. <laughs> But it's, it stuck with me forever. That's a good answer, yeah. I think. That's a, that's, a, that's a good detail to pull out to really make a distinction there. Mm -hmm. um, so I think of Sunshine, um, because when we're talking about, like, a cinematic story, I think, or, like, original 2D side-scrolling Mario games are the furthest thing from a, yeah. a cinematic story. Like, what, Mario doesn't have an arc. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, but then you get to Sunshine, where they're like, okay, we're gonna do, like, the... It's like playing an animated movie-type yeah. cutscenes. And you know what? It just doesn't work for Mario. It feels weird to the hear jail the characters scene? talk. The, the court yeah. scene is the funniest thing. It is. <laughs> Still, to this day, of just the black void, and suddenly Mario's in jail. He's staring at the wall with his jaw hanging open, like, this is it. This is how I go. <laughs> it's gonna be real interesting how we carry these thoughts through to the new Mario movie. I feel like we're well, all I just think. writing epitaphs already. Yeah. 
And it's true. It's, I mean, it's, it's fair. Yeah, and that's why I was never, like, into the idea of a Mario movie that didn't star Bob Hoskins. Yeah. Where, yeah, it's just so so much a the, departure. The that game doesn't even... have a story. No. Mario is not cinema, so don't try to make it. You can make a movie adaptation of Uncharted. You can do a movie adaptation of Mass Effect. But you can't do Mario. My because... head, yeah. My, my head canon is that you can only do Mario as a movie if it's Mario as a stage play and that is being commentated by the movie. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, like Mario 3. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, like, it, Mario is very theatrical. I would say mm-hmm. Mario is very, like, vaudevillian in a way of just, I'm going to come put on a show for you. And then you will leave entertained. <laughs> yeah. Are you not entertained? <laughs> Is this a not why you are here? <laughs> okay, okay. It's- Look, this is, on that stage, this is going to go onto a tangent to what we were talking about earlier on the Twin Geeks Discord. I have not stopped thinking about the Russell Crowe Javert. (laughs) (laughs) What movies, what movies uh, exist in the, in the Javert first? Obviously, Les Mis, Gladiator, (laughs) Master and Commander. There you go, Master and Commander, need that one in there. Just the shared universe with all the Russell Crowe characters hanging out. I just, I'm not even that big on, like, Russell Crowe. Like, you just named five movies. I couldn't. <laughs> but still, it's hilarious. Robin Hood, obviously. Gotta get that one in there. Yeah, yeah. What Has he been in an animated movie? That's a good question. You know, I don't think I feel he like had... he would be a get for, like, an illumination. No yeah. offense, Russell Crowe. Yeah, no, it seems like something that would be... Right up his alley. Like, I can see it. Like, that's a big name. Like, he would he would draw in, you know, some people for an anime movie. But I'm looking through his credits here, and nothing's trying to stand out to me. I'm all the way back in the 90s now. I'm not seeing anything animated. What's he got coming up? It's quite the tangent you created here. <laughs> that just... Oh, Noah. Noah has to be there. Oh, oh my yeah, god. Obviously. Yep, yep. Who's who's the leader of the... Uh... Job Eric. Oh my god, yeah. he's playing Craven? Why? No, in what? The Hunter? What? No. No. No, 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 no. He's he's in it, but Aaron Taylor Johnson is apparently playing that's Craven. Not, it's not better. That's not but. better. You didn't Oh, help. he's playing Oh, he's playing Craven Senior. You didn't help me feel better. Maybe. He's not listed under anything, but yeah, I don't know. Aaron Taylor Johnson also does not work. Yep. I I agree. <laughs> I wish to God to give me the confidence of that. Sony casting Spider-Man villain movies. <laughs> well, with well. this all in mind, <laughs> I think we're ready to talk. You know what? Russell Crowe could have been in the quarry. <laughs> who, who do you replace? Who do you replace? Wait, hold on. Does this go? Does Does this go past the spoiler mark? Does this go after no. the spoiler mark? Yeah, you know what? We'll, we'll save it for the spoiler discussion. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. We'll have to find... We'll have put to a find, pin in that. Yeah, a spot so for Russell Crowe. Talking, talking about the quarry.
Does this look like the goddamn Harbinger Motel to you? Developed by Supermassive Games as a follow-up to their 2015 smash hit Until Dawn, The Quarry is another entry in their genre of interactive horror movies, this time inspired by sleepaway camp slashers like Friday the 13th and, well, sleepaway camp. <laughs> the game features an all-star cast of mo-capped actors ranging from established horror I- icons like Ted Raimi and David Arquette to uh, younger stars like Ariel Winter and Justice Smith. The plot follows a collection of nine counselors at a summer camp called Hackett's Quarry. Their final day of departure on the last day of camp is delayed, forcing them to spend the night and contend with sinister supernatural forces hiding in the woods, as well as a six-year-old conspiracy created by the titular Hackett's. Uh, The game features choice-based gameplay and light QTEs as you must make Intelligent, informed decisions to keep your counselors alive and uncover just what is going bump in the night. So, uh, we discussed beforehand, because this is a much more recent game, in fact, it only released, like, at the start of this summer, we're gonna be doing a spoiler-free discussion at the start, Mm -hmm. and then uh, you can consult the uh, podcast uh, timestamps for where the spoiler discussion will begin and end. So... For you two, you two watched me play this, mm-hmm. and yep. this was your first exposure to this sort of uh, super massive type interactive horror movie. So, what were your thoughts, uh, David? You are an avowed lover of horror, and Asia. Um, we made movies together when we were teenagers. I know your favorite genres. <laughs> <laughs> Shh. It's okay. No one has to know. Um. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it quite a lot as an experience. Uh, it was it was fun. It was campy. Uh, it was <laughs> it was dumb in good ways. Um, th- there's certainly you know uh, some elements that became that, that, that were a little frustrating. Um, mm-hmm. it, it didn't end great, but the experience <laughs> was a pleasant one generally throughout. Um, it wasn't that spooky. It wasn't it wasn't terribly scary, but I I was inve- yeah. I was invested in mm-hmm. the characters more than I expected to be, uh, and even more than some of the other ones experienced. Uh, you know, w- we have uh, a little bit of experience with Until Dawn before this, mm-hmm. um, and a little bit after, kind of just brushing up again before this discussion. Yeah, and uh, e- even comparatively, uh, I, I'm 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 favorable to the the quarry. Uh, Although obviously, like like more direct comparisons, we can go back and forth and a little bit later. Yeah, between that, yeah. and I'm sure you have yeah. others with their with their other games. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and largely I agree. I mean, I, it was from what I did recall of Until Dawn and being able to actually flip through that while playing the quarry. I found the quarry to be very fun, very engaging. I found the actors to be very very funny um, and very I want to say endearing, very charming. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to say that the that the I want to think that David and I are good uh, barometers for actual like jump scare factor because we're both terrible in haunted houses for different reasons. Yeah, um, I'm a screamer and David's a puncher, <laughs> so that's all you really need to know. And it didn't really trigger either of those in us, but but that means that it was very benevolent horror came to mind. Yeah. Despite the gore. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think of the um so I've played I played Until Dawn when it came out. I've um and then uh Supermassive's Dark Picture anthology, which mm-hmm. I guess they're classifying as its own thing even though it's the exact same gameplay, which I, I but those are more like budget titles. I've played through well, I started playing Man of Medan with friends and then we never got around to finishing it. So I don't actually know how that all mets out, but I've played Little Hope, I've played House of Ashes. Now I've played this um, I think that this, uh, my ranking would probably go Until Dawn, House of Ashes, The Quarry, and then several tiers down, you've got Little Hope. Um, but yeah, I would agree that this is really their least scary, most campy game. Mm-hmm. And I'm still debating whether or not that's to the benefit or detriment mm. of it. There, there's um, certainly scary elements when it comes to yeah. certain design aspects, I would say, but it's primarily that more so than any execution think, of, of scares. Yeah, I think that there is a lack of tension. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even when it really feels like it should be. I think part of that is because, uh, well, I think part of it is that we really deduced what the mystery was very early on. I would be shocked if anyone got to the reveal, the name drop, and was like, oh, that's they, what it is. They do a lot to hint at it and, like, suggest it. They do that thing, and all these ones do. They, they can't, they just can't help themselves. Where they can't help but make the kind of cheeky references to things and these kind of hints mm-hmm. and puns and stuff mm-hmm. that just entirely yeah. give, gives it away. Well, uh, you you picked up on a lot more of those than I did when they, like, drop certain characters' names, and you're like, oh, that's a reference to this kind of movie. This is the kind of... This is what the monster's gonna be. So, going to the cast and the characters, I do think this is one of their more likable casts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Supermassive is very good at making casts of characters where you don't necessarily like them, but you can get in their head, which is good because you have to, to, like, make choices as them. As, as kind of dumb as the writing is at times because it definitely is uh i did find myself very invested in the characters and the relationships in a way that i wasn't expecting when the game started and particularly compared to like again like going back to until dawn uh that i i was not as invested in those characters though i was more invested in the story i would say if that makes sense there, there's a more interesting narrative unfolding there and particularly how it ties in with the events and the horror than mm-hmm. than this does but the the dynamics here and the relationships in in the quarry uh i found surprisingly compelling even in in their dumbness and again it, you know certain characters have like a, a stock capacity but it, it's it was executed in a way enough that even that the kind of like frustrating or just kind of very you know uh, stock characters uh you know they, they, they had their appeal and i think part of it comes through in the performances which is surprising given the circumstances that it was produced under. yeah yeah this is um this is a very gen z horror game <laughs> which i think which i think threw us old ass millennials off when we were playing it we played it um in a group setting we did like the with older models where um everyone got to pick a character they made choices for. And I know, I definitely know at the start, we were, you know, some voices from the peanut gallery going, this is some very cringe dialogue. Why are they say? why are they saying these words in this order? Um, I think the cast does a lot of heavy lifting yeah. in making these, these lines sound believable. It's yeah. just, 
I think... I think there is an issue of a lot of it doesn't feel natural. Yeah. Um, because it strikes me as something where they were trying to make very gifable, memeable dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Is there yeah, any, what I'm saying? Yeah, is no, there any bit fair. of dialogue that stands out? That's the thing I'm wondering, though. Like, did you feel like any of it was particularly memeable, no. ultimately? Like, did any piece of dialogue stick with you or stand out? I'm trying uh, to what, think. What, what is it? There's a group of bears. No, herd of bears. Yes, I've heard of bears. <laughs> Oh my but that's God. just an old Muppets joke. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't... Uh, God, I just... Okay, as far as red herrings go, obviously it's not bears. This is not the Revenant. <laughs> yeah. um, I hated the bears bit from <laughs> from Picture Start. Like everything is everything bears. Everything is bears. Everyone's like, yeah. it was a bear! It's a bear! <laughs> yeah. When it's very clearly not. Not a bear! <laughs> yeah. I think that bit definitely got frustrating. Like, how how would you feel about that though? If the next game it was something just bears, very, very plain. <laughs> that yeah, was like the, the hit for the next the franchise. Just bears. Bears. That's gonna be no. That will be insane because the next game is a murder hotel. <laughs> bears in the murder hotel. And if the twist is is that it's a bear, <laughs> <laughs> it was the bear. The bear was the bellhop all along. <laughs> <laughs> Room service. I should have suspected it when that Russian acting troupe had come through. Oh my god. <laughs> um, I think I think this game was probably so to me this game's probably like a seven, six out of ten. Okay. And with those kind of games, or just any media in general, to me those are the ones that often feel the most frustrating. Mm-hmm. And the ones I always see the most well, okay, again, entirely subjective. To me, it's a 6 out of 10, but I see people getting just entirely, like, vitriolic. Ooh. And I think it's because they focus, try, tend to focus on why is this not, why is this not four points more and not, and what, rather than how did it get the six points it has? Yeah, yeah, and, like, the, yeah. when you can see the potential for something, that mm-hmm. tends to be where you get more frustrated because, as opposed to just, like, it's general bad. mediocrity... It's, yeah. You know, like, that's excusable, and you can look past that and just not even care, really. But when you can see how much better something can be, then you just, you, you get very frustrated that it's not that, and then they didn't follow through, or they, yeah. they misstepped you, along the way. Start, and you start looking into, like, because I did this when we had, I, I have done this, like, the last two days. I've been looking into, well, why didn't this pay off for me? And I'm, like, starting to focus on, like... I, I got to the people that, like, start proving, like, oh, this game is mad, and I can prove it with math. No, and, no. You know, once no, you no. start getting to those types of analyses and breakdown, that's when you have to take a step away. I, yeah. I no, think it's, a it's, lot of the issues with it just kind of stem from the underwhelming ending. Like, it, it I was, kind of yeah, gasped that, and that, and that could suck a lot of the wind out of it for you. I think if you consider the game more so than 90% of the time otherwise, you're much more favorable to it. I, I wasn't going to specifically say the ending until, like... Like pin, pin it on the ending and ending until after spoiler talk, think, but it I is think like saying, it, it's the it's the ending. Or you could say it's the ending without like saying the ending is disappointing without saying what the yeah. ending is. No, of course. I I think it's just saying simply the game doesn't really have a great payoff yeah. for a lot yeah. of your choices, and I think that is detrimental to a game built around its choices because yeah. this is really compared to the other games, this is the easiest super massive game by a lot. Mm-hmm. Um. Because I was saying, you saw me, when we were heading into that final chapter, I was like, this is going to be QTE hell. 
Yeah. Like, I am, I am so prepared. Because all the other games end on just, like, you can make all the right choices. You can make all, like, the best decisions and get everyone alive. But in that final chapter, when, like, all of the evil is coming at once, it's just a barrage of QTEs that if you screw up one, it's game over for that character. Oh, yeah. Like, um, brushing back up on Until Dawn, that's entirely what that was. Was that suddenly the last scene, you have, like, four giant QTEs. That, mm-hmm. that are just long and complex and can absolutely fuck all the progress you just made. But this game doesn't have that at no. all. And that's because it spends um, a lot of time fracturing its cast. Yes. And, and I think you were pretty right on the money saying that um, it was possibly a COVID measure to make sure that you could group these people as often as possible and not have them as an entire coherent group. And mm-hmm. just listening to what the... What, cast went through. <laughs> it sounds I, like it was definitely that. One of the frustrating things for the playthrough, I guess, for us had to do with that fracturing of, of the group because <laughs> we had we had one person who, who uh, accidentally chose the wrong character. Well, well, it, it wasn't necessarily their fault. We all kind of picked from a pool in the beginning, which again, yeah. like, well, I thought was a was a fun way to approach the game to kind of have yeah. all of us take on these people and make decisions for them, but. Uh, because of how the story is structured, some characters then become more important than others, you know, and yeah. thus get more time playing. Yeah. And some, some characters' <laughs> gameplay section is they take a picture of a lake, and that's it. And, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll pick them up again in an hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. I feel, you know, no spoilers, kind of a spoiler, but no spoilers. I feel bad for whoever picks Nick. <laughs> oh my god, Yes. Immediately yeah. off the bat, whoever picks Nick, that's... Oof. Um, because ultimately, this is one of the largest casts in a super massive game. Mm-hmm. And I think the part of the issue is, in comparison to their other ones, all the Dark Picture games have very small casts. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot more group moments. So, you, um, you know, it doesn't really matter who's playing who, because their character's always going to be in the scene. Mm-hmm. So they can feel like they can influence decisions. Right, and I I guess one thing that I will say definitely too, because The Quarry is a good game. I, I will say object, objectively, I do believe it's a good game. It does whiff the ending, but something that, I, that it did do that I really preferred over actually Until Dawn to some aspects is the integration of characters into scenes that they may or may not be in in other storylines. Mm. Because yeah. there were points in Until Dawn where it's like a character may do something that would make a lot more sense if someone else was there. Yeah. And there's way less of that because of the very purposeful fracturing, I think, here in the quarry. Yeah. Do we feel like we're, we're like, right in that, that edge into spoiler territory? Do we want maybe, to maybe. just let, rip the band-aid I, off? I think, let me, I think we're getting... Let, yeah. let me open the door by by introducing another element that I liked. Uh, I really like the the framing device, you know, that you had for mm. the narrative, the interludes in which you partook to see the bits into the future uh, yes. as, as yes. one of the main mechanics. And it was centered around a, a fortune teller. Yes, I yeah. thought that was very well done. Yeah, and that's actually done different from the other games, is um, those, like, flash-forwards you would get, you would find them in the gameplay. So anytime we found, like, 
if this was done like until dawn anytime we found one of those tarot mm -hmm. cards it would have just played the vision right away exactly where here you find the tarot cards across the chapter and then at the uh the, the bridge between chapters, you have to pick one of those to see a potential future from. And, and that's yeah. a, that's very interesting, because then we got into, like, debates of, like, what... what would we which of these see? tarot cards will provide the most information? Well, because, because it wasn't, just, it wasn't yeah. just the vision, it was also, like, a very cryptic description, which could potentially help you just by itself. Right, So because yeah. there were some we figured out were like, oh, this refers to this character. Because also the tarot cards are themed after specific characters we, we figured mm -hmm. out like maybe halfway through the game we were like oh this is actually this is the person in yeah, the, that's, the card that's here. his face yeah that's his face right there so that that was another clue that could lead you to believe who it would be about what the t vision would kind of you know indicate towards and so eventually we could kind of piece it together that ones which were more important than others like oh we know this pertains to this character so we gotta do something with them yeah so maybe look at the one instead that we know nothing about yeah or like very satisfyingly at the end of the game we did find out that there were some that we were looking at from entirely the wrong direction and mm -hmm. that i thought was very satisfying to find out because it's like oh then if i had actually taken a step back and thought about it a different way we may have actually been able to save whatever and i also think it's just good theming i think yeah, yeah i think fortune tellers are you know f fun and, and mystical and, and you know interesting and tarot mm -hmm. cards have that you know kind of innate uh you know cryptic appeal to them yeah. you know so it's just it, it's it's a nice thing and it worked thematically within uh, an, a narrative element of the game as well that yeah. takes place before the, was, the events it was made a little campy a little spooky and it was really atmospheric i think yeah so that was one thing I, I really liked that helped to kind of tie the scenes together. Okay. So I think before we get into spoiler talk, like just final say, would you recommend this? Yes, I, I would recommend it. I think it's a fun experience, uh, particularly with friends. It was very yeah. good. Um, again, like just it could be better. It's a good, you know? yeah, it's a good game night movie, you know, movie night. Yeah. I experience. think, I think it's worth it on sale. I got it on sale. Um, at full sixty dollars, oh, I think I would yeah. have a bit of. Uh, I think I would have a bit of buyer's remorse. Yeah, $60. but then again, I haven't bought any of these games at full price. So, so how much was this on sale? Um, I got it forty dollars. Is this worth forty dollars? I think yeah, for the experience we got, like yeah. as a group, like even with the unsatisfying conclusion, I think it was definitely worth that. I'll also, mm -hmm. say um, it's, it's a very nice looking game. I think the motion yeah. capture is. It's very well really oh, It's so much some of the best I've seen. Yeah. And there's so yeah. much licensed music that's very well curated throughout the game. Mm -hmm. That's very I have I have a note, I have a bullet point on my notes. The soundtrack may be the most confusing and annoying <laughs> part of the game. <laughs> but we can get into that. So 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 ripping off the band-aids on spoilers. Okay, let's go. This is your spoiler clap. So it's werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, okay, so so, 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 so so count down the immediate. So so what was the, what was the first one for you? Because I know the first hint for me. I can't. I, I can't. Remember. It was Landis University. Yeah, that was that was a big giveaway. <laughs> I'm Max has maybe. been Max has been uh, a character has been denied a grad school acceptance into Landis University. We find out. Oh my god! I didn't even th Max Landis. Ew. Okay. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. But anyway, no, my first clue was um, in that prologue where it's like, um, you know, carry him to, he's carry Max to safety or uh, leave him. 
Oh, and I was yeah. like, he looks pretty deadified. Why would it matter what his last moments with us are? And I was like, okay, it's got to be something where he turns into a creature. Oh, and I'm like, okay. okay well, and that's not werewolves. like an uncommon thing. No, you know, it could have been. Yeah. It could have been vampires. It could have been Wendigos again. Well, you know, I, I won't say anything. Um, <laughs> I know it wasn't vampires. I will say that much. Um, Is there another one that's vampires? I won't say. Okay. Um, <laughs> But then when the font, when the title came in, and I just pointed at the screen and shouted, that is werewolf font. <laughs> it was like, absolutely. Oh gosh, was it Teen Wolf? No. Nah, or was it um, American Werewolf in London? No, it was Teen Wolf font, pretty much. I don't know. It was, it was like yeah. the only kind of like scratchy font that you would only use in like, only use in werewolf movies. Yeah, like I said, there's only, there's only like so many, uh, uh, a small there's also a gigantic, there's a gigantic full moon. Yeah. yeah. I think it was a little... It was a little bit of a curveball because with their more recent offerings, uh, Supermassive has gone for more obscure horror things, like Until Dawn is Wendigos. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is uh, very cool. Man of Medan is about the uh, the Orang Medan, the ghost ship, as uh, well as the Mary Celeste. Cool. Um, so, like, just flat-out werewolves <laughs> was yeah. surprising. And they're very, um, I like the design of these werewolves. Oh, these Chris are Chris sick. I love good. them. They're different. They're they're hairless. A, a shiny werewolf. I dig it. I love how they transform. Just the human explodes off of you. Oh, it was gross. And then you turn back the same way. The werewolf explodes yeah. off of you, and now you're a human again. Maybe wearing mm-hmm. pants. Dev always wearing pants. Yeah. Uh, you don't. You don't. You don't see anyone's cast of friends in this. <laughs> I, yeah, I would definitely say that the werewolf. Like you got that little bit of viscera because when we were watching. We were brushing up on Until Dawn again. The Wendigos are so fucking scary just by nature. Mm-hmm. The way they move, the way they yeah. the way they articulate. It's just it, absolutely terrifying. I hate it. That's And that's something as a comparison point here. The werewolves themselves aren't really scary. The design is really good. I like them as a unique werewolf design, but they're not scary. No, I, I don't think they're scary. That's the thing is that they look a little... Um, the, the werewolves, it's weird, but like, when I think about, like, oh, it's a hairless, scary, skinny, skinny, definitely. Like, that's the thing, is that you usually think about werewolves as these giant hulking creatures, but these are actually just tall, live, terrifying, emaciated-looking creatures. It's very weird, but it's... I think These are not sexy werewolves. They are no. not sexy no. werewolves, for sure. And it's I think it's the thing that kind of starts... Um, It's how the game is convinced that it can go forever without saying werewolves. Mm-hmm. It does eventually say it. It's not like a zombie thing where they yeah. just entirely don't. No, say they they, it. they do, do say werewolves they do straight point. up say werewolves, but like they wait a while to say, oh, these things that you've been interacting with multiple times, werewolves. And then it's because it has a secondary villain in the form of the Hackets, mm-hmm. who Which are are morally misguided at best. I thought it was I thought it was very interesting because there's a long period of time where it feels like they're not villains. Like, yeah. like th- th- yeah. I think it does a really good job of making them feel like you know these these antagonists, but then when when you make decisions that kind of put you at their behest, they don't murder you. Yeah. Immediately, and it's like, oh, are they helping us? Okay, these are these these people in the woods are m- maybe good guys. Yeah, it's a good take mm-hmm. on uh, backwoods <laughs> backwoods hillbillies being evil all the time. <laughs> it's a nice refresher yeah. from that. And again, I think just a great cast as well. I Ethan love, I, Supley. Oh. oh my god. Lance Henriksen. Oh, yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, so many bit actors that have been in like every like horror franchise on the planet. Yeah. Um I think I think like see the thing about like the Hackets and the Werewolves is ultimately uh I've had a lot of time to dwell on the ending. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think it's supposed to cuz old I think what the devs wanted is for you to choose between uh the Hackets are the bad guys or the Werewolves are the bad guys. I think it's trying to do a, you know, who are the real monsters type of story. The werewolves. <laughs> well, I, th- I think, well, yeah, and exactly, and that's why... why the werewolves, <laughs> not the so family that they've been terrorizing. So, full dis- like, the f- when we played through this, uh, we wound up with only three people effectively left alive, uh, because... You Oops. know, I'll, I'll take the I'll take the L. I botched that QTE with the two protagonists. Yeah, yeah, a very a crucial moment, and three characters we, die in yeah, one we, decision, and that was I got a rare achievement. Yeah. yeah, we we all overthought that so hard. Is the thing like we were like, oh, the game is so smart. No, we were. We were it was we literally were just smart. just shoot the werewolf in front of you. Shoot, that, shoot that this was one. the thing. Yeah. Nothing else was supposed to be Like, done. the game just absolutely, like, put blinking lights on it and was like, shoot this werewolf. And we were like, no! It's a trap! Yeah, and, and see, that's where the game, like, that's where the game feels like it falls apart. Because, you know, the game was setting up Ryan and Laura as the protagonists. Yeah. Who were gonna, you know, finish, finish the mission. Yeah. But because we lost them, we had to deviate to what was effectively the B cast <laughs> yeah. of Caitlin and Dylan, and then off in the woods is Jacob. In his, that poor man in his undies. Oh, that poor boy is just carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. <laughs> but poor Jacob. Jacob's a good bean. Oh, he's <laughs> such a, oh, poor, I, uh, poor like, him. I like how oh the, the game really endears you to characters you really shouldn't does. be endeared to. Yeah. And yeah. it's... And that's the disappointing and, and thing, because, like... Ca- case, case in point on that, Ted Raimi. Yeah. Ted Raimi. Ted, Ted Raimi's having a ball in this game. Oh, he is my so God. good. Yeah. He's so good, and I love him, and and I want to be on his side, which I did not expect, because he's a fucking menace in he's the beginning. He's so terrifying from the first moment we meet him, and he's obviously having the time of his life. And all the way to the end, like, he's turning in the best the best performance of the whole game. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if he got, like, even just, like, a gimme nomination at the Game Awards. Yeah. No, that would be great. But, like, going back to the ending... <laughs> I feel like we're gonna do that a lot. <laughs> well, just, like, I, I want to get it all <laughs> out of the way. Exercise those it's demons, like, my man. Be mean. So we lost be we mean. lost Ryan and Laura. Yeah. Nick and Emma were infected as werewolves, which is interesting that yeah. characters can be, like, bitten and infected. I do, I do think that's uh, interesting is that you could lose everyone, you can infect everyone potentially, and you can, like, get everyone, like, like so there's not, like, a a rigid... There's narrative. not a rigid one, no, it's like There's not, like, a rigid options. path that you're going the whole way. There's definitely, like, a, you know, an effect, and you can fix that to a certain degree as well. And know, because you know. there are stages, like, you are bitten, so you are infected, and when the infection yeah. takes hold of you, then you become a werewolf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and effectively every character has a transformation, except for Abigail. Mm-hmm. Huh. Even though she can get bitten right at the same time Nick is. Ha! Huh. Uh, but then, so we had the, like, the showdown in the lodge with Dylan and Caitlin fending off a werewolf. And I was like, oh, all the characters we've had turn into werewolves so far are going to descend on the lodge. And it's going to be madness. So we've, like, made the game harder for ourselves by getting people infected. 
no, Caitlin and Dylan just deal with the one werewolf that shows up, and then the game ended. Yeah. <laughs> and we were all, we all had a collective, what? Yeah. And, and that's and the giant crux of the shitty part of the fucking ending. That, that's not even the worst part, though. No, it's not. Is that the game just ends... No, no, John, it's not, John Hughes, it is not. It, it gives you little epilogues, but... We went back and undid the mistake and got, like, more of an ending where Ryan, Laura, and Travis, the Ted Raimi, go out to kill the original werewolf. It's and so then it, like, sad. posits killing the original werewolf as, like, a moral decision. Yeah. Yeah, that was weird, too. And we did, and we did that, and then it just ended again. <laughs> One of the frustrating things as well is that there was no, like, information about that original werewolf. No. Like, up until that point. It's, in, it's a huge, like, in ex- game, exposition dump. In-game, there is no information about that werewolf in-game. Yeah, so it's all a bunch of backstory that informs that that's not in the- It's all informed at the last minute. Yeah. It's like, you, you deal with a conflict- and then Travis is like, "Hey, do you wanna do you wanna go for broke? Do you want? Yeah, <laughs> I'm ready to expose it." Yeah. So then he just he just spills it all after being really cagey like the entire time. Yep. It's just this long extended you know uh, exposition, and we got all of it. And I think it's all interesting stuff, but like it's it's not executed in in the best way, and to a point where you're not emotionally invested in that aspect of the story yeah and so what i think the devs were going for with that that fortune teller character mm-hmm. that is the original werewolf's mother i, I looked yeah. up on the wiki yeah. she's not his biological mother no she found she, him in the woods um but she is like turns out she's like influencing you across the game to get her vengeance on the hackets yeah so like all those visions we get all those tarot cards are explicitly choices that lead to the Hackett's death. But you don't have to go that way. They can live at the end of the game. Yeah. So it's like, and she doesn't want you to kill the original werewolf. She wants you to kill all the Hackett's. And her being, like, she becomes mad at you. She gets more mad at you over the course of the game if you're not, like, listening to her. Yeah. And so, like, it, it starts making you kind of question your own choices. And that's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it, yeah. I like that aspect. I like that it's... We were tricking... It's, yeah, it's interesting because the game tricks you into being your own unreliable narrator. Exactly. Like, in the game, later on, like, that one tarot card that we misread, we're like, oh, that's from her point of view. She wants us to think this way. Okay, yeah, like, we um, were wrong. Like, um... um that one moment where she's like, oh, one of the vermin have been dealt with. And you're like, oh, one of the werewolves. No, nope. she's talking one of the hackets have been dealt yeah, with. specifically one of the hackets. And, like, I see what the devs were going for there. The issue is, I would shoot the original werewolf a hundred times out of a hundred. Yeah. I don't see the moral problem. Especially <laughs> when you find out that, no, this is just a little boy who's suffering. Yeah. He's well, suffering every kept time. him in a cage. There's no incentive to not shoot, like, because the, yeah. the issue is that we don't all of him. your friends will still remain werewolves. Like, the curse will persist on. Like, there's no, thing, <laughs> like, there, there's no idea that the original werewolf will go on and do something else if you don't shoot it. Like, it's... <laughs> Can well, you imagine so, going the whole game and making sure all your friends are alive still? Like, they may be werewolves or infected, but they're alive. And then you just don't shoot the fucking lead werewolf. So here's the thing. <laughs> if you go the route of killing all the Hackets, you effectively cure almost everyone. Because 
Chris, uh, by, uh, yeah, Chris bites, uh, Max, who bites Laura, who bites Emma. Right, right. Etc., who bites Ryan. So you kill Chris, that cures all of them. And then his son, Caleb, um, can bite Dylan, Caitlin, or Jacob. That, that's another thing, is that the son and the daughter are not characters that we meet. No. Yeah, they're not characters we care about, and we just kind of, like, everyone... They're not even characters, really. Everyone else is torn up about them, but we're not, because we've only ever heard of these children, and we've never seen them before. And we've only experienced them as werewolves. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, we killed Caleb, we didn't have to, but I also don't know how to get that ending. Oh, so so getting into like what what the game considers endings because I do this game was sold on having a hundred and eighty six different endings. Yeah, and it's like mm, no, you have a hundred and eighty six variations on combinations of title cards for fates <sighs> of each character. Ugh. So like almost every character can end the game dead, alive, or like still infected by the werewolf curse in like various scenarios. But it's all it does is give like a little bit of text, like "Oh, Emma survived the night; she's still a werewolf." Yeah, it's, like, it's, okay. it's not. It's not really a wrap up. It's literally just like a where they are now. Do text. you know how angry I got when I realized that they use the same character animation for whether or not they're human or infected? Still, oh, I got so, so angry when I was like, "Why? There's nothing different. Like they don't show any. You're just gonna give me a Kuleshov effect on whether or not they and, feel better about this or not." And and there's no like coming together at the end. It's literally just like they finish their bit of the story and then that's it. Then it's gonna go to these, like, slapdash credits. You make me ship two characters for a whole game and then I don't get to see them hug at the end of the game? I am going to be mad. Yeah, no, this game has the most, like, relationships of the entire... Like, like people are straight up talking about, like, people are straight up dating. They're Yeah, blinking. no, no, there's, there's, like, two potential couples and Jacob and Emma and then Nick and Abby and then you've got Ryan who is the subject of interest for Caitlin and Dylan and I guess also Laura because like there's there's real, there's relationships in Until Dawn but they're portrayed more as just horny teenagers there's not really any mm-hmm. like hey I'm interested in you as a person we're getting to know each other well there's like there's there's Chris moments and here. Ashley yeah like um, yeah. But they're the only ones in the game where you're like, oh, I need to put these two together. But the thing is, Chris and Ashley stick together the entire game. Yeah. It's not like in the final chapters, Chris goes off and then you never see him reunite with Ashley. Exactly. Which is what happens in this game. Exactly. And what's really telling is that there are people who were like, I didn't even get to play Max. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, you made the one choice that took you away from actually getting to play him for 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think it's just, when I, because I, I was doing, like, diving into, like, okay, how many, like, variations are there? And there there are quite a few, like, um, but a lot of them are, you would, I feel like you'd have to know they're there, because a lot are failing QTEs. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing, if, if something's locked oh my behind God. failing something that you, intuitively you're going to want to, like, do successfully, that doesn't make sense to do. It's not, like, a black-and-white decision, like, Especially go this way or go that way. Especially when the QTEs in this game are real easy compared yes. to all the other games. So it's like, you would have to deliberately fail it. And the only reason you would deliberately fail it is if you knew it led to, like, a rare outcome. Yeah. Like, um, like if you have Caitlyn infected, uh, she can lure, uh, werewolf Caleb into the freezer and then they both stay in there overnight 
and then Dylan will rescue them in the morning. But you have to fail the QTE to close the door on Caleb in the freezer. Yeah, like, how would you know to do that? And the only way you would get Caitlin infected is if you botched a QTE to get her deliberately bitten. That's, yeah, that's kind of horseshit. Yeah, it's just... One thing I was doing in comparing this to Until Dawn is I was like, oh, Until Dawn, the characters are, like, in constant danger, whereas in the quarry, it definitely feels like some have plot armor. Yeah. And then I actually looked at the Until Dawn wiki and was like, oh, all characters only ultimately have, like, four possible deaths, and they're all towards the end of the game. Uh, Characters like Mike, you can't kill until the very last moments of the last chapter, which was shocking to me because you spend most of the game as him, and he's in constant peril. And I think that's the difference is that Until Dawn just has a better horror story to me. There's constant forward momentum. The characters are split up and fractured, but they're all uncovering different parts of the mystery because they're all dealing with very different subplots. It's also just a more interesting narrative uh, and and the way it's delivered, you know, and and the way the mystery of it kind of unfolds. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not not to say this one isn't, but the the sincere lack of payoff definitely undermines a lot of the inherent interest that it, it does have. It does I think like the game. It. I think the quarry just isn't a mystery game. No, which it's is weird because not. it's trying to posit it. Like you're finding clues about the Hackett family history. It's more so just like, a ghost story. Yeah, it's more and just it's, a campfire story. And it's, I I think this was probably went through several rewrites because there's a lot of like clues that are focused on like the the patriarch of the Hackett family, and he's barely like, in the game. Yeah. No, no, like Septimus Hack. Oh, like you, shit. The yeah, he's not stuff. even, he's not even really, he's not even really relevant. And it's like, why would I need to know this? This has nothing to do with anything. Whereas in Until Dawn, it was like every clue legitimately helped you unravel the mystery. So do you want to talk about the worst part of the ending? Oh, you mean the, the epilogue? That well, <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure it's an epilogue? Because I feel like it's, because if it's a game that doesn't have an ending... Then I feel like an epilogue should serve as an ending, but this also what, wasn't an game, ending. The game told us where they are now. They all got arrested. <laughs> <laughs> the game has a weird relationship with podcasts. It's a Gen Z game. <laughs> and Gen Z apparently has a weird relationship with podcasts. So so just laying it out on the table, over the credits, once you get that awful, like, still frames of like, here's <laughs> here's where the characters are. It goes straight to credits, during which you have to listen to two full episodes of Bizarre Yet Bonafide. Yes. A not real, a podcast that exists within the reality of the quarry that one of the characters listens to. I think much less of him (laughs) as a result. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) It's done by two... Two people from College Humor. Yes. Doing the absolute worst, like, I'm a guy on a podcast dialogue as they talk about not even the events of the game they talk about the the evidence you found it's just the evidence it's 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 okay so i i'm basically obfuscating the fact that i went through and as marketing (laughs) 2k released six episodes of this podcast online and And on the website episodes so so hold on they're like they're like 10 minute episodes like six minute episodes I was thinking it was like a full hour long. No, I think I would have. That would be torture. I think I would have. I think I would have rather been a werewolf (laughs) in that moment. 
Um, because what was it that I, I found out? So it's, um, who were their names? I wrote notes. Um, <laughs> it's, 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 it's Emily K. Murphy. Br- yeah. Brian Murphy, uh, and Emily Axford of college humor fame. And they have yes. a podcast. They have a podcast IRL, which is like a D and D podcast. And as soon as I found that out, it made so much sense because the reading of this fucking podcast, I don't know if you ever listen to supernatural or true crime content. Not. But this really. reading is not that. Um, the no. thing that I came away with is it's more dare than 60 minutes. <laughs> like, just the way that they tell stories is just like, and then you'll never guess what happened then. And it's, oh my God. It and was. And that's what, that's what the game ends on. And that's what the game and is what, ending on. And like, here's, it, oh God. It, so the lore, the lore is in those podcast episodes. Yeah. And those are entirely separate. You can access them from the game menu, but like... I'm not gonna. No, you're not gonna. And so here's the whole... There's also really bad... There's bad, there's bad jokes. You can't skip it. We actually turned down the the dialogue audio slider to still zero, had... so we didn't have to listen that's, to them. That's so the real sin. Yeah. Is the fact... And it's, and it's long... It's, it's long. It's terrible. It's two episodes. Once yeah. you think you're through it, it plays like a little jingle, and then it starts again. <laughs> and then it... Okay. There are... There's an arc. There's a storyline. Because you want to know the most batshit part of this podcast? Is that it all takes place around Hackett's Quarry. It Wait. all takes place in the Hackett Woods. All Every episode of the podcast? Every episode of the podcast takes place but in Hackett I, Woods. But at the start of the one over the credits, he says, didn't we do a Hackett's Quarry episode? Because the last episode, episode six, is titled The Hag of Hackett's Quarry, which is the, the only- Hackett's Quarry. Which is the only good title of these. Like the titles are episode one, The Woman in the Woods. Episode two, Shh. The Boy Who Cried Bigfoot. Episode three, Missing, Presumed Dead. You want to know who the body was in the lake? This podcast tells you. Oh, that's right. That was a thing that happened that we totally didn't continue on. Yeah. So there's lore. Like, oh my god. All I kept thinking about was, like, the fucking Palpatine stuff in Fortnite. Where all the lore (laughs) happened off screen. And it was... (laughs) That's, like, there's so many threads. Like, it's... For the longest time, it seemed like it was setting up a mystery. There's not one, though. But there's not. It's just the Hackett's are werewolves. What was, yeah. What was the body? The body was, um, there were two hikers in the woods that went missing. And the Hackett's yeah. chased them and one of them drowned in the lake. That's it? Yeah, they stretched oh. that one out for three episodes. But it's just, there's a real, there's really weird jokes in this one. They make, they play straight guy very, very, very straight, which means that not straight man is just the airhead, bad vegan, stupid girl trope. And also people in the comments are like, because they released it before the game, people in the comments are shipping them together and being like, oh my God, I hope they're in the game. Oh, I hope we're going to play them. I hope they don't die. And then episode six comes out after the game does and everyone's mad. Everyone's mad in the comments. They're like, what the fuck is this shit? It is legitimately one of the worst things I've seen in a game recently. <laughs> um, that, it was like, 
it was like pulling teeth. I tried. I legitimately <laughs> tried. I went back to our save. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to it. No. And I couldn't. Don't. I couldn't get through it. <laughs> Episode two has a joke where she um, is explaining what happened in the mines at Hackett's Quarry. And she's like, miners. And we're not talking about the ones that I DM in the 1900s. What? I was what just said. I was just staring at my screen, just like, "What did you just say? What are you implying?" There's like an extended bit about wanting to date and fuck Bigfoot. I mean, that's just normal. That is very like, normal. In the Northwest. Um, all the episodes end with the um, pop pop peanut butter butter pops jingle, which doesn't make sense because it's supposed to be a discontinued snack. Okay, so the, 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 the hosts are named Anton and Grace, and Grace goes to the Harbinger Motel, and she stays there overnight, and she asks the front desk guy, do you know about the Hag of Hackett's Quarry? And he's like, do I? This doesn't happen in the podcast, but she's really excited telling you about it while she's eating an expired pop-pop peanut butter butter pop. <laughs> it's terrible. It's so bad. It's, oh God, it was excruciating. I felt like yeah. I was being pranked. While listening think, to these podcasts, I now know what teenagers think of boomers listening to podcasts. It was so <laughs> baffling <laughs> because guess what also happens when they're looking at the evidence in the end of the vi- at the end of the video game is that she hands Anton a picture because the cast, the cast from the game, the campers have sent the evidence to them yeah. to review, and so to, she to hands them a picture, innocence. and he's like. That's, she's like, what's that? And he's like, it's a bear. (laughs) (laughs) Enough about the bears. And, oh my God, that letter that we weren't allowed to read in the, in the game, the letter that we're not allowed to read, they read it out loud in the epilogue. On the podcast. On the podcast. So, oh my, again, the ending isn't great. And no. They're kind of lying when they say they have 186 different endings. I guess looking at it, there are a lot of different ways for the characters to die. There's which a is lot interesting. of There's a lot of ways for things to end. I don't know if they are endings. <laughs> yeah. And because of that, the issue is is because like Jacob can die as early as chapter 3. You mm. have him jump in the lake, and then you don't make any choices, so he drowns. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> I guess that makes sense. He's just... Then you have characters like Emma, who if she if she's alive at the end of chapter four, then she survives the game. Hmm. Because she's Great. just separate from the rest of the cast. Yeah, no, yeah. She's, just, nothing... she's just hanging out on the island in the lake. Like, when we, um, when Jacob was captured by the Hackett's, I'm like, oh, Jacob's about to, like, learn a bunch of stuff. Nope. No, he's he gets captured. So when you infiltrated there as the real main characters, Ryan and Laura, he's there for you to rescue. Yeah, but then he doesn't even join up. He just runs off. He's again. like, I have to go find Emma, and then he runs away. Again, it's that thing of like, it's I'm invested in these characters. It sucks. Please give me a payoff. I just want Jacob to be happy. They give him so many nice little moments of like growth and self reflection, and it's just wasted. Did you watch his transformation scenes? No. Oh, so if he gets bitten, um, and you free him from the cage, when he's out there in the woods by himself, you know how, like, before everyone turns into a werewolf, they kind of turn into their worst self? No. Jacob is in there, literally screaming at himself, You're worthless! No one (laughs) loves you! (laughs) Oh, poor baby boy! Or, he can be infected, and Emma could have just been cured, and they come across each other. (laughs) 
Oh, and he dead. rips her head off. Oh! <laughs> no. Oh, no! So it's like, yeah, there are these scenes... There are, like, a lot of different branching paths, but they ultimately don't amount to much because there's no genuine payoff for the narrative as a whole. There's no actual resolution because in order for there to be a resolution, you actually had to have, like, encountered a conflict that you're invested in and then actually grown to overcome it. (laughs) Yeah, it just doesn't have a lot of forward momentum. It's a lot of the same locations and a lot of, like, talking about what to do. Yeah, even even smart characters like Dylan and Caitlin are just using their smarts to um, accidentally survive. It, it's not even like Dylan doesn't use any of his relevant skills to survive. He just happens to come across, which is realistic in a way, but it's not narratively interesting. Mm-hmm. Like he spent summers fixing up the radio you know, station in the camp, and that never really amounts to anything except for, I'm going to create a feedback loop to scare a werewolf. Yeah. Or something like, consider the fact that, like, Jacob and Caitlin are theoretically childhood best friends. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's nothing to back that up. They have interactions in, like, the beginning of the game, but then, like, nothing else. There's no... Yeah, there's ultimately no, like, follow back on this. And I think, looking at their original press releases for this game, they really sold it as, like, any character can become the main character. And I can't help but wonder if that was just them blowing smoke up our ass, or, like, COVID definitely affected. Like, this was supposed to be a much bigger branching game. Yeah, it would be nice if it was. Uh, It feels like it could be, but definitely there there very clearly is a main character, you know, plot that you're following, these these central narrative and the other characters who aren't directly tied to it, then they're going to get shafted. No matter where it started in terms of development, it is certainly not that by the end of it, by release. And it feels like anything I've seen of production, it seems like the cast and crew are also very believing that it is still the game that they started with. Mm. Yeah. So I can't help but wonder, would you be in favor of, like, a director's cut DLC? Oh, Or would that make you mad if they were like, pay $15 for an ending? No, no, I think... uh, I think that'd be worth it. I think if you got rid of... um... Because I still think it's a... I still think it's a good game, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Like, just because it has a bad ending doesn't mean that it completely undoes everything that's good and appealing about it. I think we spent a long time talking about very frustrating things. Uh, again, even something like the podcasting, which really tank, like I think it just really emphasizes how terrible and how deflating an ending that is. You're not allowed to skip it. <laughs> yeah, but that ultimately is like a that's just yeah a, a, an oversight, like a dumb oversight. I feel like than something that you know is a yeah. fatal flaw per se. Yeah, I think it's a bad bet that they took. Really, of just like. I'm sure on paper, because on paper, I, I can absolutely see it as being a way more successful than it ends up being an execution. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. If, if if it were, like, if it were a podcast that were actually, like, a good wrap-up and everything, then there may not be any complaints about there not being a skip button. But the fact that it's so dumb and poorly executed and terribly written... Uh, it could have been, like, handled, like, all you would have to do... Is just say, oh, we're investigating the, um, the the strange events at Hackett's Quarry, and we've brought on some of the survivors to be interviewed. Yeah, that would have been 
way would that more... Be, would that be too much like the Until Dawn ending, though? Where it's I would just rather like... it be more like that. Well, sure, sure, but like, you want to be exactly like that? I mean, this game already has enough parallels to Until Dawn. Right. Like, you've got, you've got a stubborn uh, Asian chick uh, whose love interest is a soft-spoken black guy. You've got a buff football player who's in love with a sort of airheaded blonde. Um, you know, not wrong. Yeah, but these are things that I think until dawn kind of at least in its ending. It. Well, I mean, also there was such an emotional payoff as well mm-hmm. in until dawn of like here is the monster and here is the crux of like here is the tragedy of the monster and you are invested yeah. in that. Like that was and way more. I think I feel how, like that was much heavier. House of Ashes does that too, which is why it's above the quarry. But House of Ashes is also just fucking stressful okay um, okay and maybe that's because i played through that one completely solo oh shit um but like that one i think is like the hardest one of the games i've played of, okay. uh, from supermassive um i think just like a lot of choose your own adventure games it kind of rides or die is by how fun it still is once you know how it plays out yes did and you... so do you think you would want to go through this a second time? I do just to see the death scenes of everybody. Yeah. Because some of those were really gnarly. I could I could yeah. definitely enjoy playing through it, I think, again, because it seems to have uh, a number of diverging elements. There there were definitely a number of points where it's like, the, the decision we made, I'm like, what was that other decision? What would be the outcome of that other one? You know, they didn't immediately seem like, death or survive you know there was definitely it yeah. feels like it could have something else could happen and i don't necessarily know if it would have changed the story drastically or not but it feels mm-hmm. like it could so so i'd definitely be interested in going through it again uh potentially yeah so here's my final question on the quarry what do you think cost more the cast or the licensed music <laughs> i was gonna say the cast but they do have ariana grande Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it might be the music because like they've got some big names for the cast but they're like big names in the community yeah they're, they're they're still small big names they're like again they're a bunch of really treasured cult character actors or still like like some some actors from like the the 2000s who never really got a break you know but are still very recognizable mm-hmm. um yeah, so I'm, I'm going to say the music, probably. <laughs> there are so, I just, like, the soundtrack was kind of getting on my nerves. <laughs> it was because so... Because there were, there were so many licensed songs, and sometimes they're back-to-back. Yeah. You can like, turn the, off the, the licensed songs, though, right? Yeah, and that's a good feature for uh, streamers. Yeah. So they don't get content ID'd. But, like, I think about um, when, we, when you enter the Hackett house, mm-hmm. and then that chapter ends with, like, a long, long, like, pullback through all the empty hallways and the mines to a Golgo Bordello song <laughs> that has nothing to do with anything other than Eastern Europeans. <laughs> look, look, at least they weren't all moon-themed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's the that. obvious thing to do. And they at least didn't do that. And you can't do it better than it's already been done. But where was Hungry Like the Wolf? <laughs> where uh, is where is Bark at the Moon? <laughs> it's the possibilities are endless. Well, speaking of the moon, I think it's starting to get out, and I can see David pumpkining. Yeah. Uh, so I think uh, we're gonna we're gonna leave it there for the quarry. So I think it's an overall recommend. Yeah. 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 I still think on sale. But uh, definitely. Yeah. I'm, 
I, I would not say this is like the death knell for Supermassive like I've no, seen some hardcore fans say. Did, did it really, I feel like if anything this might be more accessible than I think some of the other This is absolute, like Until Dawn, I, I may get some pushback on this, but I will say Until Dawn is one of those like, when we look back 20 years Until Dawn's going to be so historically important for the medium of games. Oh absolutely, I can already see that happening. Because honestly, you sent us a great let's play, but um, the one that I ended up watching was the Markiplier one. <laughs> oh, yeah. And at the end, he was like, "Yeah, that was really good. It was like a lot like Heavy Rain." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was the name drop he had. But I feel like now, more and more with these games, you're getting oh, Until Dawn. Did Until Dawn yeah. do it better? Did uh, like oh, in comparison, like the reference point is now Until Dawn. It's shifted. Yeah. And so I think that's going to be, yeah, I do think it's very pivotal. And what this has is that it is very accessible because it is, in terms of like your, I know you said that a lot of like dark, like the dark picture anthology is like more niche horror. And mm. this feels very tangible, very graspable for like even this a is, general audience. This is everyone, definitely like yeah. a game for people that don't play games. Yeah, like a game for people that don't play games, people who like horror movies. Like this has already jump-started the Halloween crawl into my soul. Mm. I think I'm just, like, overall disappointed that it didn't take Until Dawn's crown. Yeah, I think that ju- it just causes me to realize, like, what a, I don't know, as time goes on, what a lightning in a bottle that game may have been. Mm-hmm. And that's because I, I don't, fair. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say outright, I don't think Until Dawn is, like, brilliant, but so far it's, like, the best of its kind we've gotten so far. But it was, yeah, and it was not not groundbreaking, obviously, but it was something that I found to be... I, I think it was just the push we needed in games at yeah. that time, and it's really starting to make such a shift in the cultural landscape for these games, and I can only see this boating well, honestly, for Supermassive overall. Well, we'll see. I think uh, The Devil Inside Me, which is the next Dark Pictures game, comes out uh, in September. Oh, well, maybe we'll... Uh... Have to get together again to try that one. Oh yeah, but now now we've got some now we've got some plugs to do. Um, so I, I I I made a project of I am going to I just know this is this is gonna turn to ashes in my mouth, but I'm gonna try to name and connect by one degree of separation every podcast on the Twin Geeks Network. I'm Brave. excited. Let's see it. Brave. So. So we start with 808 and Pod Breaks, where Calvin and Kevin, uh, along with a rotating crew of panelists, talk about individual albums from their favorite hip-hop and rap artists, mostly breaking down uh, the distinct genres and influences for each album. They go a lot into real, like, niche genres like horrorcore and such. Then, Calvin is also on Fright Files with Ben. This is uh, our most recent podcast where Ben and Calvin talk about horror franchises in as much of a totality as they can. So the first episode is on The Ring. So they watched, you know, the original Japanese Ring, the American, all the sequels. I think Calvin read some of the books. Yeah, the whole the whole premise is actually about the the adaptation little aspect of it. So they, they read the books and they're talking about it from that vantage point and, and the comparisons to how it's being brought to film and they're going one at a time. Yeah. And then Ben is also on Adventures Through Asian Cinema where he and Jack have a show and tell format where they each select a classic of Asian cinema to present 
to each other and the audience. These range from classic Hong Kong action films to surreal, surreal Japanese horrors like Cure. Then, Jack is on the stack's office hours, where he and Steven casually talk about their weeks, movies they've seen, books they've read, games they've played, etc. They take listener recommendations and are preparing for a massive listener mail special. Mm -hmm. Then Steven solo hosts a note from the author where he interviews his favorite letterboxed reviewers about their favorite genres, their process, and the value of reviews. Okay. The first okay. guest on note from the author was Vaughn, who hosts I'm Thinking of Spoiling Things, where, where they talk about contemporary just-released films. The next episode is on The Grain Man, and theoretically, they'll get to Elvis eventually. Otherwise, I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> they better. They better. It'd be funnier if they don't, but I hope they do. Also on Spoiling Things is Steven, who co-hosts Kino Thanks. <laughs> there, they look at the bottom 250 films reviewed on Letterboxd, often with a guest in tow. Also on Kino Thanks is Jack, who's one of the hosts. Who's one of the hosts on Don't Let the Modern Cast Get You, a podcast about the filmography of Matt Farley, a micro-budget filmmaker and comedian and musician living in the New England area. Also on the Modern Cast is Stephen, who co-hosts who co-hosts Ranking the Monsters. The show where every episode two kaiju movies are reviewed, then placed in an ongoing ranking, so that we may finally define not only what is a kaiju, but which kaiju kaiju's best. Also on Ranking the Monsters is Calvin, who hosts the Twin Geeks podcast, where they look at the full filmographies of various auteurs, and likewise rank them. The current episodes are on the massive filmography of Robert Altman, with just the second episode recently premiering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also on the Twin Geeks podcast is David, <laughs> who is a guest on the Daydream cast, where every week we look at obscure and uh, cult classic video games that, in our description, have Dreamcast-like energy. Very good. Great job. You almost had it. Oh, damn it. What'd I miss? Vaughn was not the first guest on A Note from the Author. It was actually Ben. Vaughn was the second guest. Oh, then why did he show up first in the search, David? I don't know, but Ben was the first one. <laughs> damn it. Damn it. I have to take down the whole Pepe Silver. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was great, though. It connected all together. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. More of a payoff than the quarry. A better podcast than... than uh... Bonafide yet bizarre. Bizarre yet bonafide, a supernatural podcast, a marketing technique by the quarry. Well, thanks so much for uh, having us on uh, again, Murph. This was a, a great time. Very lengthy discussion, covered lots of topics here. The porn version is called Biz Arse Yet Bonafide. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next time when we look at all the Rule 34. <laughs> oh, what? You mean just naked pictures of Brenda Song? Uh, stop! <laughs> Anyway, we're going to be signing off. Uh, tune in next episode where we will definitely be covering American McGee's Alice.